0: Guys, this is Shiragam, and I want to welcome you to episode 40 of the Hashishin, brought to you by Rosin Evolution, where you can visit at rosinevolution.com. As always, thank you for tuning in. Wishing everyone a great 420. On today's episode, we'll be hearing for the first time from the East Coast as we talk to Stav, Alex, and Hunter of Helios Hash, based in Maine. We talk about their win at the Eagle Clash NorCal in the Hash category. They tell us a bit about what brought them together to create what they call a family farm, as well as some of the challenges of growing outdoor resin in Maine and much more. So definitely stay tuned for that. Shout out to all the people who make up our community on Patreon. It still amazes me how many people have helped us out along the way. Thank each and every one of you. You're the reason that we're able to keep pushing forward. If you would ever like to support the podcast, grab a t-shirt or some stickers. Visit us at patreon.com backslash the That's the hashishin. Use the link in our Instagram bio at the or visit us on our new website, TheHashishin.com. Shout out to our awesome sponsors, including our main sponsor, Rosin Evolution, the best bags in the game. Again, you can visit at rosinevolution.com, where you can find everything that you'll need to make rosin. If you're washing hash, check out their full mesh wash bags. They're made of the same high-quality material that their rosin bags are. They pride themselves in providing you high-quality products at a reasonable price, along with the best customer service around on Instagram at Rosin Evolution 100 on their website, rosinevolution.com. And if you want to save another 5% on their already reasonable prices while supporting the podcast, use our savings code, the letters THI, the number 710, that's THI 710, altogether. saves you 5% at rosinevolution.com. Shout out to our homies and sponsors, Powers Plates, the small batch rosin press company. You can visit at powersplates.com. Or on Instagram at Powers Plates, where you can find not only the highest grade plates on the market, but the best looking ones as well. They have a new batch of their artistic series in their splatter design dropping really soon. So if you're in the market for a rosin press, specifically the highest grade plates around, go to powersplates.com and save $75 off their systems by using our exclusive savings code, the letters THI. Again, THI saves you $75. Off all Powersplate systems at powersplates.com. Shout out to Six Star Society, your solventless apparel company, where you can visit at sixstarsociety.com where you can find all the gear you need to show your love for the resin. They're dropping some new designs today on 420, including new tees and hoodies inspired by the 90s. Expanding on their full melt line, they've come up with some high-quality embroidered hoodies, as well as their old-school MTV-inspired tees and slaps. So if you love hash and you're looking for some cool gear to express it, check out Six Star Society, where everything is of the finest quality, from dab mats to t-shirts or even jackets for the washroom, you can find it all at sixstarsociety.com or on Instagram at the number six underscore star underscore society and save 5% on your entire purchase by using our savings code, the letters T-H-I at sixstarsociety.com. And last but never least, shout out to our newest sponsor, Rocky Mountain Seed Bank, where you can visit at RockyMountainHigh719.org. Or if you're in Canada, it's rmhca.ca, where you can find an incredibly well-curated menu of genetics from some of the most reputable breeders out there the new drop from capulator got swooped up quickly but there are a few packs left if you didn't want to miss out as well as plenty of gear from the resin powerhouse harry palms aka bloom seed Co., including the sonic strawberry which is a gary payton cross to the strawberry guava they also carry in-house genetics gear Pheno Addicts Gear, Altitude Ranch, and Rocky's own stock. So if you're looking for some killer genetics at a reasonable price, along with great customer service and speedy shipping, visit Rocky Mountain Seed Bank at Rocky Mountain High 719.org and use our savings code, the letters THI, to save a generous 25% off your entire order. Again, the letters T H I save you a quarter of the price of your order at RockyMountainHigh719.org. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to episode 40 of The Hashishin. I'm your host, Shirag Mamir. Today, I'm super excited to be here with Stav, Hunter, and Alex of Helios Hash, based out of Southern Maine. You can follow them on Instagram at Helios Hash, that's H-E-L-I-O-S Hash, at Helios Collective or at Hidden Forest Farms. Welcome, guys. I appreciate you guys taking the time to talk, uh, especially after we spoke last time and hearing just how busy you guys are at the farm. So welcome again. Thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks, man.
0: Yeah, of course. So last year was only year one of Helios, and you guys made quite a splash of it, capping it with an Eagle Clash win in the hash category in NorCal, which congratulations, by the way.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank
0: you so much. Wild ride. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a time, but I'm assuming you guys are still kind of riding that high from that.
1: Oh my God, clearly riding the high. It's, It's been a lot to get to this point. You know, we were caught off guard when we, you know, got the invite to go out to the Ego Clash to begin with. It's always been something that we've always looked up to. And looked up to, you know, a lot of the people that are included in the ego clash and, you know, whatnot. So it was honoring to uh, get the invite to go out and extremely humbling to have the uh, outcome that we did.
0: Yeah, that's cool, man. Like I told you last time, honestly, when Brandon announced the winners, I hadn't heard of Helios at the time. And, you know, now, as the Zoolander meme would say, Helios is so hot right now. Like (laughs) it seems like you guys are. Definitely, you know, kind of making a splash. Have you felt that after the event?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Support Uh, for the brand has definitely grown. Um, Just awareness in general has definitely grown. Yeah, it's uh, like I said earlier, it's been pretty wild ride. Yeah, it just feels great to uh, get some recognition on, you know, what we're doing, you know, out here on the East Coast where a majority of, you know, a lot of the attention is out in California for you know, this style of farming and, you know, what we produce for, you know, the market and the industry alone. So it was, uh, really brought a lot of attention out here to Maine that, you know, Maine can produce and we can, you know, there's a lot of heat out here that a lot of people are sleeping on. So it's great that now that's, there's awareness to that, you know? No, we're just super grateful to, you know, put Maine out there a little more, there's a lot of really good people here doing really cool, cool stuff. and it's very small, small scale, which I think overall is definitely bringing a lot of high, high quality. And we're excited to, you know, get Maine a little more reputation and hopefully try to get more people from Maine out there in in these cups as well. So yeah, exactly. like there's a lot of people from Maine that um, have actually been doing this for a long time, and their products are extremely fired. and it's just like, they're not as, you know, recognized out there by a lot of people. So like, we're blessed to be able to, you know, know all these smaller farmers that, you know, they, at the end of the day, they're just trying to grow the best quality product and put out the best quality product. And like, as far as the recognition of it, they don't really, they care as, you know, to an aspect, but it's not like, you know, their main focus, their main focus is in the garden, producing quality medicine so it's great that we have that access out here and kind of be able to shine that spotlight from other areas of cultivation to Maine, which obviously people wouldn't think of off the, off the jump.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that was one of the things that was super intriguing to me when you guys did win, Uh, you know, you guys are the first East coast guests on the podcast and I found it super interesting that not only did you come from the East coast, you did it with sun growing resin Uh, It was single source. So there's a variety of things that uh, I'm excited to jump into with you about. So let's start with the entry. Stav, break down for us what genetics your entry consisted of for the Ego Clash.
1: So our entry was, it was a mix. It was a mix of rainbow belts and a mix of ice cream cake we you know went through a bunch of different variations to see what we thought would be our best entry to go in we figured a mix would be probably uh putting our best foot forward so we went with a mix of i would say around 90% rainbow belts with a mix of 10% ice cream cake in it the the whole reason why we included ice cream cake into our into our blend was because of the meltability of the melt. It was um, extremely melty and clear. So we were trying to use that to kind of beef up the rainbow belts uh, meltability, but not take away from the taste and the terps that we were getting from the rainbow belts. Figured that the ice cream cake complemented extremely well with, you know, the the backing of the moonbow on the uh, rainbow belts. So overall, um, it checked all of our boxes that we were looking for, as far as, you know, the meltability of the melt, you know, how uh, the flavors all, you know, came together. Um, It was, it was great to have layers that, you know, when you would try the hash, you would get immediately, you would get the Skittles on the front, and then you'd get the back end of the Moonbow complementing more with ice cream cake. But That's kind of what our entry was and that was what we thought to put our best foot forward with what we had
0: access to and were all three of you and possibly even more uh, of you part of the process of kind of finding the this combination that ended up being the winner
1: absolutely man i mean honestly it took us like you know we only had a few days to like come together to really figure it out so we all you know sat at the table At the end of the day, we brought out all of our melt, you know, to see what was going to be our best option to put forward. And everyone's weighing in. We had all of these different mixes and all of the above. And everyone's like, no, I like this one. I like that one. We kind of did it. So it was like all of our mixes were numbered like one through 10. So we could kind of go through and be like, oh, I like number five and I like number four. But only like, you know, one or two of us really knew what um was in that mix. So it was kind of giving, you know, the best um opinion um that we could get out of everyone was, you know, just letting them try it themselves and see what they say. And narrow it down from there. And kind of collectively all of our opinion directed towards that mix. So um, that it was, you know, it was clear as day that, that was that was what we were going to go
0: with. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. So if I'm understanding correctly, sometimes you were blind testing it. And Absolutely. then most of us were blind yeah. testing, actually.
1: Yeah, it was like, we don't know what's going to be in this to give us, you know, the best way to essentially judge our own product.
0: Hunter, talk to me about the Skittles Terps, because when I spoke to Stav and Dimitri last time, they were talking about how that was part of what they wanted to present in the entry. And, you know, it's such a unique Terp and one thing that really stood out to me was that your entry was I would say within like the last 5 to 10 samples at the Ego Clash and obviously like the
1: last (laughs) 5
0: yeah but it obviously still made like an impression um, on a bunch of people that I presume smoke a lot of hash so what is it that you think it is about Skittles Terps that you thought would do well honestly
1: man we were trying to take whatever we had and put our, our best foot forward, like Stab was saying. We didn't really have much time beforehand. So we kind of had what we had in our freezers and went with the best you know option we could. Um, I think Skittles Terps is like the pinnacle of high terpene extract with a lot of power. I feel like it's just very popular because not only does it stain the palate with just beautiful candy, fruity, almost gassy tones, but it, it lays you out flat. And I think I was a little hesitant on whether we should enter Skittles trips into a Skittles competition. I was kind of thinking, wow, it's going to be Skittles blowout. Like, you know, I, we we were just hopeful yeah, and grateful right. to be there, but really just hoping that, Hey man, if, if people could have wished it was, you know, melted better or tasted better, at least, you know, we knew that it was a palate stainer, you know what I mean? Whether it's not hyper hype has a lot to do with how you do at these competitions. You know what I mean? And being on the East coast, our trends are a little different than like, you know, the West coast. Like some people are like just done with certain flavors. So you never know how your entry is going to add up out there and how everyone else is feeling in different parts of the country, you know, with what flavor is hot and what flavor is not. And like I was telling like everyone there, it's such a good group of people The hash is so fierce. It really is like who put what on the table that day. We definitely knew Skittles were going to come with some strong terps and get people iry (laughs) for sure. So that's
0: that's kind of what we went with. So here's something so interesting to me that I remember before the actual judging started. uh, You came up to me and you were like, hey, check out these two rosins. And it ended up being the two phenos of the rainbow belts, I think, that you guys used. And although they were both really good, uh, I told Stav that I ended up liking like the quote-unquote gassier one more. So I'm curious like, why you guys decided to combine two of those phenos to represent those turps.
1: I mean, I guess there's a rare phenotype that goes around that was in Maine, and it's just a really, really slow-growing plant, but in my opinion, it had better terps from, but that's just what I'm looking for. I was, I'm not looking for gassy Z terps. I'm looking for like the Z cut turp in a different form. So the sweeter, slower growing one is the one that we went with. Unfortunately, it doesn't exist anymore because it barely was alive. Honestly, the whole time it was, it's definitely meant to come and go for sure. But the other one is like, I believe the archive cut, which I you know I think more people have it grows a little better for sure but we were thinking hey you know let's put something a little different into it like that's more personable to us and from me so you know it, it's tough though like you said you know you picked out the other one and I feel like depending on the person it could go either way but we ended up going with that sweeter like I feel like a little more palette staining sweet terp that stayed a little longer but it was a tough, it was a tough choice for sure. Yeah, for sure. And kind of like, we just kind of wanted to show the variability in the taste of the Rainbow Belts because it is such a variable plant. You know, the, you get that sweet, almost creamy milk taste off of the, the one that's harder to grow that didn't agree with us too much. And then get that power pack gas from the uh, archive cut, but really blending <coughs> that just shows you what you can achieve with that cut.
0: Yeah, no, that's cool, man. I I was just wondering like what the the thought was behind that because obviously it worked, you know. So going back to what you were talking about, the ice cream cake and the meltability stuff, it's funny because that word kind of sounds made up, but it's actually uh, uh, like a real word. (laughs) It just means the capacity or the extent to which something melts, you know, basically. But since you did include the ice cream cake mostly for that factor, this is something I asked you last time is, obviously you feel that at the correct ratio a meltier strain will bring more meltiness or at least a look of meltiness to a less melty strain possibly
1: absolutely that's kind of how that's kind of how we thought to go about it was you know to bring a little bit more of that melty feeling that we're looking for like i really like when it greases up and it and it puddles in a jar and like we found that the ice cream cake was doing that amazingly. So once we added just a little bit of that to the rainbow belts, it uh, really gave us that melt aspect that we were looking for. So it, it complemented well. Didn't over, it didn't take over too much uh, flavor, which, you know, that's what we were going for. So overall, it, it was, you know, our best, our best mix that we could put together with what we had being our first season and, you know, only growing as much, uh, diversity of, you know, genetics that we, we had and, um, growing from there, we'll be able to have more diversity to see what we can put to the table. Yeah. I think our lab was like a month old when we went, Yeah, yeah. we just just finished building our, um, building out our, you know, cold rooms for our hash lab. And, um, it was like, weeks after, like a week after they're asking us to, you know, put an entry together for the Ego Clash. And we're like, oh man, like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, getting started in here. Like, I don't know what, uh, you know, how do we approach this? So we all put our heads together and um, it was a collective effort, just like everything we do. It's uh, collectively done. It's not, it's not, you know, weighed out by one person, you know, gives us uh, a better approach to things when we all can, Bounce opinions off each other. You know what I mean? Many hands make light work is the idea behind
0: the Helios Collective for sure. Yeah. And you mentioned the process that you guys went through in basically finding the one that you wanted to use for the competition. But a thing that I found funny was that you said once you got to the ego clash and saw like the actual judging, less intimidated almost or more comfortable because you guys almost had more benchmarks or more points that you were judging. And even at the ego Clash.
1: Yeah, I think we were a lot harsher on ourselves um, just because we have that standard. You know, we're always holding ourselves to the highest standard we can possibly be. So we're, you know, judging it as harshly as we possibly can, which um, allowed us to have a more in-depth form of judging, which gave us, you know, I feel like a better foot forward with our entry. Uh, you know, because we were weighing in so many factors that um, at the end of the day, when we were there doing the judging, um, seeing all the other entries, it really made me feel comfortable that we had our best foot forward. You almost like mimic the process of the ego clash to get our entry, so it was almost like a trial run within our own uh, within our own doors, so to speak.
0: Right. One of the things that I'm curious if you guys were factoring in, and this is something that I've talked to multiple people about, I guess, privately is, did you guys factor in the high? Because I feel like it's such an interesting subject when it comes down to competitions and it really comes down to how the competition is set up. But in a case where you have, you know, 30 or 40 samples that you're sampling at once, I don't really know how much the high actually yeah. How part are you going to
1: know how much higher exactly. you're going to get off each each entry? Yeah, that was something that we factored in, but it was always going to be like you said. It's hard for a judge to consider that with you know having 30 entries, you know, and us you know knowing ours was one of the the last entries to go around. I think it benefited us because. You know, more people were able to see and try everyone else's product before ours came about. And maybe that one just really stood out, you know, comparably to what they had had already seen and smoked on. And it's hard at that point because you you're already 30 dabs in and, you know, you're (laughs) trying to judge entries. And it's like, how much higher can you actually get at that point? You know, you're just like trying to get exactly you know, to get, you know, get some food and get a drink and rest after. And that was like a lot of our intake on like how, you know, what's the best way to go about judging like this? You know, is it fit for one person? Is it fit for just one person to sit there and do 30 entries? You know, is are you giving your best opinion on that entry with knowing that you had 30 of them and you're taken not many people sit in one sitting, take that many hash rips. So (laughs) it's uh that was an interesting thing that we all thought about, you know?
0: For sure. And last point on the entry is something you said to me, Hunter, when I was looking at those rosins stuck with me. And it was something along the lines of like, people told us to enter this in rosin, but we really wanted to enter it in melt. I'm curious, why was it important for you guys to compete in melt?
1: I don't think I was the one that talked to you about the jars, but I know that we were just responding to what they told us. They literally were like, hash, you know? (laughs) So we're like, sounds good. Happy to be there. Like, you know, this is a, like, honestly, just being on that list of people in our stage of our, of our company was a win. We were just elated to get out there. Shout out to Brandon and Third gen and the whole ego clash crew. I mean, it's the best thing we've ever seen. We're just new guys, so I got to meet Cuban. I got to meet these guys. Like they're like superheroes to us. You know, yeah, I mean? yeah, we've looked. It, it was up literally like so long. <laughs> like it was a huge trip. Just going, winning. You know, I was hearing the people that were getting fourth and fifth, and I'm like, we got no shot. Like those are like people that we all three of us look up to and strive to be. have a product at that level and we're just really grateful that people liked the rainbow belts and ice cream cake mix man like that's all we can really say about the entry and it was it was the most random thing that's ever happened and we're just grateful
0: that we can be here cool so let's talk about maine and its medical scene a little bit because like you said earlier one of you said it's not the first place you really think about when you're thinking about cannabis but They have had medical laws since 99 is what I looked up the other day. So it's been it's been a while. So, you know, Stav mentioned that Maine may have some of the best hash in the nation, in his opinion. And that when he goes out west, he told me last time and he comes back, it like reinforces that belief. So I'm curious, Alex, why do you think that the quality of cannabis in Maine is so high?
1: I think because we still have such a vigorous medical program and allows these growers to really have a small batch and controlled, you know, look at how they're growing their plant, the way they're growing their plants and how clean they're growing their plants. And if um, the product speaks for itself, I mean, I, I encourage you to come out here and have a taste test with us of all of the, our favorites from around the state, but Like I said, really having a very vigorous medical program here in Maine that's really, it really gears itself towards the the farmers, you know, and what they're doing. So I give Maine the credit of keeping that going and, you know, not letting recreation take over and these huge grow ops coming through and, you know, mass producing stuff and pumping it out on the market. It really allows us to let the product shine and speak for itself. Exactly. It's a very, you know, with having all these small batch, you know, farmers, it's created a very competitive market. I think that's like the best case, you know, scenario for the consumer is having, you know, a lot of really good producers out there that is a limited product. You know, they can really hone in their garden and uh, make sure that they're firing on all cylinders because it's, you know, they're not mass producing it. It's very attractive to allow, you know, families like ours to be able to keep it within the family and be able to produce a product that, you know, we can back and stand behind, but also be able to like, have run a business off of it. You know, it's not like we need a large company to come in to do something like that. You know, we're allowed to grow a certain amount of plants towards each one of our licenses which is more than enough for us to handle. We wouldn't wanna grow more than what we are allowed to grow because we take a lot of time and attention on them. And that's like what a lot of people in this state really do is you know they focus on quality. I feel like that is what has attracted so many good producers to now move out here and be able to have the ability to produce on a smaller scale and you know, run their own business. and on a legal manner, you know, bring a more boutique product to the table rather than having to you know supply the masses. Also, I mean, that I touched on this a little earlier before we started recording. The topography and geography of Maine is just so wide ranging that a lot of these growers that are spread out throughout the state, you're hitting different like little microclimates throughout the state. One guy might be you know growing. Next to the ocean, where the some somebody in the same state is in the mountains, where somebody in the same state's in farmland. You know, it it varies, and uh, I think that it really flushes out variability in in the cannabis plants.
0: Yeah, for sure. I definitely want to dive into, in essence, the kind of uniqueness that Maine brings, and especially like you guys are doing growing outdoor. But since you brought it up, like you said, the adult use or or rec market has been approved as of like a year ago, I think you told me, stuff. I think so, yeah. I think it was a little over a year ago. And I asked you if you guys uh, had thought about or were concerned about your state, what happens to a lot of the other states in that they start off medical and then rec comes in and kind of makes that much more complicated or even unfeasible for the medical market. But you said that you thought that Maine would be a type of place where people would possibly like fight that or
1: absolutely i mean all of these you know smaller farmers are are vocal about preserving program that we run because it would it is a large portion of the state a large portion of the state's workforce a large portion of the state's income is through the medical program there's so many providers within one state that it all of these farmers now when there's legislation that tries to come in We're all, everyone's going out to the courthouses, you know, they're speaking, they're vocal. You know, there's groups now that are formed in in Maine to be active in all of these aspects to, you know, preserve the program as best as possible. And um, that's, you know, what we all want to do is to try and preserve the program and do everything we can to allow that to happen because it just attracts more people to want to be a part of the program. Because, you know, this is something that has been taken away from so many other states out there, like California, for instance, like it killed so many of these small businesses because, you know, if you didn't have the capital or the backing to be able to, you know, get into the adult use industry, you basically couldn't do it legally. In our position, we would, it, it allows us to be able to do that. Um, which is a blessing, you know, it allows us to, you know, grow and cultivate and do what we love, but be able to make a living off of it. And Maine as a whole is very much like geared towards the agricultural um, way of life. Like there's still family farms that have been there for a hundred plus years that are still like in the family. And it makes up a large portion of the state is just agricultural in general. So the entire state is primarily agriculture where our farm is located, everyone around us has been there for over seven generations. They've been there since like the 1600s. So, you know, they've grown up on this land and this farm and they've owned all this real estate for so long that that's all they do. You know, they, they wake up, they farm, they tend their lands, they tend their animals. And um, I really think that's uh, a big reason why Maine and the state listens to a lot of the community because it's all built off of farmers and agriculture.
0: That's a lot of the positives of working in Maine. Would you say that there's any challenges in working under the medical system?
1: Absolutely. There's always challenges with the uh, system, with constant regulation and trying to incorporate new rule sets every year, which is, you know, they're just trying to secure the program and prolong it. But there's certain ways that they could eliminate the program. But that's what all of us farmers and, and other growers out there and providers all come together. And they actually, we come up with a different form of rules that we provide to them. And then we kind of hear each other out on a board. But as far as you know, challenges within our program right now, our program has basically been the same For years at this point, there hasn't been much more stipulation that has been put into it, which has allowed us to be able to do what we can and have the flexibility that they allow us to have, but also just to make sure that we're doing the right things. Like at the end of the day, the state is there to make sure that we stay in business. They're not to try and take us out of business. They're trying to lead us in the way to make sure that we can stay in this program and um, succeed in the program. So it's always, uh, that's that's a big pro of the uh, medical program is that they're really there to to allow you, to, to push you to be in the right direction and do the right things. So, you know, you can operate your business the right way. Um, they really just wanna make sure that things are recorded and there's not, you know, it's going to legal uh, patients, for instance. Exactly that's the hardest aspect in our state is making sure that, you know, all patients are getting what they can from us when, you know, we're providers, so we can't get to every patient out there. So it's, uh, it's very tough in that aspect.
0: And I'm curious, speaking of challenges, since you brought up that there are so many people that are able to focus on farming quality or like craft cannabis, is there almost like a surplus of good cannabis there? And how do you stick out as a brand now that cannabis is more along that lines of like having brands and not just cultivation?
1: Well, there's no surplus because like it's so limited that people can actually produce to begin with. When we do provide, there's only, only so much that we can put out there. And so um, it really does get compensated up really quickly. Um, because you can only produce so much, you know, which has allowed us to hone in the quality, especially with our like biggest area of cultivation is our outdoor, we can only do that once a year. So, yeah, you know, so it's, kind of limited- it's seasonal, yeah. so it's all seasonal growing for what we do. And, um, there are providers a lot, majority of the providers in our state are growing indoor because of that reasoning. It allows them to operate year round. But we see that the outdoor is more of our, you know, aspect of things that we, that's our vision, you know, and our passion is more of the regenerative style of farming. Yeah, it's a way to incorporate our favorite hobby and past them, which is smoking hash and benefiting the earth at the same time while making a living. So it's a good combination of all of it.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. What do you guys think about taking the smoke break? Love it.
1: I love it. I love that.
0: Shout out to our homies and sponsors, Powers Plates, the small batch rosin press company, where you can visit at powersplates.com. I'm always talking about how small batch Powers Plates is, and that's because it's literally just Scott and his passion for creating the highest grade tool he can for those craftsmen and women who value using quality in their craft. One of the challenges of being small batch is that there's never enough. So if you've been waiting for the newest drop, it's coming really soon. Soon, and they're bringing the heat with a variety of their artistic serious plates, including their popular splatter design, very similar to the one that the crew from Helios hash uses, which, as you'll hear, is the only one that they trust to press their award winning hash. So if you're in the market for a rosin press, go grab your favorite hash makers favorite hash makers, rosinpress at powersplates.com or on Instagram at powersplates and save $75 off all their presses by using our exclusive savings code, the letters T-H-I. Again, T-H-I saves you $75 at powersplates.com. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. So Alex and Stav, you and your youngest brother, Dimitri, came out to Maine after COVID to start up this farm. And even though you're not from Maine, you grew up right outside of Maine. I'm curious, how about you, Hunter? Are you from the area? So I'm originally from Pennsylvania. My grandparents
1: have had a spot in Maine since I've been born. So I spent my summers up here since I've been, you know, one. But I moved out here about five years or so years ago, and started a personal farm and homestead, Hidden Forest Farms. By chance, ran into these gentlemen. And that's kind of how this whole thing started. Is We just kind of both, we kind of gravitated towards each other with the whole uh, theory that we want to do, which is overall show the world that regenerative cannabis is efficient, can basically have a business plan behind it and also bring extremely high-quality resin and hopefully show the industry here, especially in Maine, that there's a more carbon-friendly way to produce high-quality cannabis and plenty of
0: it as well. So that's kind of my whole story and how we all met. From our conversation last time, I gathered that one of the biggest motivators... Outside of growing the highest grade resin that you could in this regenerative style, another goal of yours seems to be sustainability. Did that tie in at all with like COVID? Maybe not itself, but just the idea of something like that in the future kind of happening, or what was the motivation? I mean, absolutely. I mean,
1: COVID hit and we we're like, okay, well, we need to be able to produce all of our own vegetables, all of our everything that we consume, essentially. So that was what we've always had our own personal gardens and have farmed, you know, growing up. Our uncle has always had a large farm that we operated on since we were kids up in upstate New York. And so
0: that and I actually
1: uh, grew up living half of the, our time in Greece, where our family, was, where our family's from, they operated a vineyard in olives, they would produce olive oil. So we literally grew up in the vineyard, stomping on grapes, making wine, picking olives from the tree and eating them. And then came over here. My uncle had a farm in upstate New York. We actually still have a farm that raises lambs because our family obviously loves lamb. So it's just uh, sustainability has always kind of been in the, you know, background of our minds. But once you see how fragile everything is and like how a grain of sand, like I don't want to minimize COVID at all, but like that one thing messed the entire system up. You really get motivated to, you know. Yeah, put things in the perspective to us. Like, okay, so it pushed us to, you know, want our own personal farm and be able to do it ourselves. And we knew about Hunter and Hidden Forest and what they've, you know, accomplished in the time that they've been in Maine. And we aligned on all of our theory and our vision and our passion and we figured it would be best all coming together with a collective effort to achieve, you know, what we're trying to achieve with this common goal of sustainability with regenerative farming and, you know, reducing our carbon footprint in every sort of way we possibly can and, you know, being able to provide for ourselves.
0: And Hunter, as the director of cultivation and having helped design and structure the regenerative program at Helios talk to us about some of the practices that you set in place.
1: We're trying to uh, return cannabis growing and cultivating to native soils so we can actually regenerate our native soils, cut down on peat usage. And with my farm, that's kind of what we've done, you know, my personal farm, we we bought for very cheap cuz it was a logging industry kind of uh, issue. So the owner sold it and logged it, and just got left there. And no one wanted it. Um, And then me and my partner, Matt, over at Hidden Forest, that's my 50-50 partner. Shout out to Matt. Purchased that property. First thing we've ever bought. (laughs) Uh And went up there and ripped the generator grow without a well. Drove in water. Kind of built up our regenerative soil company through that whole approach. But just slowly build up that property to what it is now. And it produces amazing cannabis at the same time. Also provides an uh, avenue for people who aren't a giant company already or a giant real estate company to enter the main cannabis medical program and purchase land and be a landowner and run their own farm. So that kind of like what Stav was saying about how it's just an appealing program for the most part. You know that's what happened to me. I was like, "This is my dream. you know this is how we live our dreams so um, we came up there. We're now building our house on there, so it's been like a long a long process. but yeah, that's basically that whole regeneration and using that agricultural technique is just like the most efficient as far as cost as well, and that's the one thing that like as a small business owner is very crucial is how much it costs you to produce cannabis. So that whole regenerative way of growing is definitely, I feel like a way that we want to illuminate to everyone.
0: And as I understand part of regenerative style of farming, uh, it's in part, like you said, about reducing carbon footprints, but also about closing loops. How do you do that on a farm that you're just getting started on like Helios?
1: So, yeah, you know, it's always like, it's always a struggle when you're starting something from uh, scratch, you know? And uh, the first thing to closing loops, I'd, I'd say the easiest way anyone out here listening to this could close loops at their house, their farm, whatever, is just making their own compost. And it's as old as the age of time, it's not anything new, but it's a slept on way to take your waste and you can potentially create nutrient content, but you can definitely inoculate your whole farm with a small amount of compost. We both rely on compost as our driving force. That is the ultimate loop being being closed, I'd say. The other things that we like to do to try to close loop is just like how I was saying using compost as a nutrient source instead of a fertilizer, organic or salt, you know, we're not trying to rely on fertilizers. The goal is to grow into a system that will eventually sustain most of itself. Cannabis is a little different of a beast of a crop as far as fertilizers go. So um, it's something that we're building up to. It's not that we're not using any organic fertilizers. We're not at that point. But with cover cropping and structuring our soil the way we do, we really hope to get to a point where The only nutrients that we're adding to our system is made on site. But currently we do our composts. We're about to start a chicken project over there, which at Hidden Forest, we run a Freedom Ranger chickens. So they're a GMO-free, free-range chicken that we do for meat. Um, They also fertilize our fields. They work IPM for us. So integrating animals, doing our compost projects, using cover crops. And also harvesting for resin in itself is regenerative. I know, um, Kush Kirk has been on this tip forever, but he put it in, in like a pretty good sense of you're only taking the trichome heads off this plant. The rest of the plant, all that carbon is being put back into our beds every single year. So I think specifically harvesting for resin offers a whole nother aspect of putting the carbon back into your system. We've also utilized with trying to create our own compost on site and um, sourcing quality compost of our own. We've had the ability to use compost from our farms that have you know, our lambs, other livestock on it as well, that we get to utilize that compost. And bring that to our farm at Helios, jump start. and um, just to jumpstart a lot of our compost <clears throat> projects that we're working on. We have multiple variations and and levels of compost that we're working with, so that's allowed us to use what we have, and as well as just using what we have on site at Helios for our inputs and and everything like that, and just trying to build up our property with as many beneficials that we can to attract all the beneficial insects and work on regenerating the land around us with all of our beneficial runoff that we can attain with building up all these carbon sources on land. Our, our property that we got for Helios actually was, there was a huge wildfire back in the 1940s. So it basically eliminated everything on that land that was had any living life on it, really? So it's like a giant sand pit. It kind of was like a clean slate for us to like start um, our farm and build all of our soil horizons that we needed, and and put in our beds that we needed to, you know, have a whole acre of essentially mounds and beds that we put in and made soil by hand with all of our compost to just really build up the land to regenerate and and grow as we grow you know it was actually a pretty wild uh wild to see by the yeah. end of the season the entire lot was green just clover everywhere cover crop everywhere when at the beginning it was really this silty you know sand no yeah. cover crop and then throughout the season it just grew and grew and grew into this so know, every lush. year it'll you know we're gonna grow <laughs> bigger and and benefit everything around us and and um, I just think that, you know, just this only being our first season out, our quality can only get better as we go. You know, we, we know the land, we have everything in our infrastructure to just continue to progress forward. Yeah, last year was really our test and seeing what our climate we're dealing with was, what the pest pressure was going to be like, how to deal with that, and really just like narrowing the variables of growing cannabis and we were just blessed to have the result we did in our first year. And it's known in small part due to Hunter and Matt and uh, their knowledge of
0: everything. So Hunter, relating this back to you talking about being at the hidden forest farms for a while now, and it taking some time for this to build up. And then hearing this right now, where in a year it's come already a long way. How much time do you th- feel like it'll take to really kind of cement the program.
1: Honestly, our program for our outdoor, which is like I'd say 95% of our production. And we do some light deprivation, but hardly, hardly any to be honest. Not really much controlled environment grows at all. I think that system is pretty is pretty well set. I mean, we've been working together You know, almost every day talking about this, we definitely have worked through challenges. You know, and I think that's the biggest way you learn how a system really works is is being like, wow, like you know, this isn't exactly how I thought it would happen, or going just going through the process and like like Stav and um, Alex have been saying, you know, it's a lot of work at first to start it, but at this point. I think we've put a 90% of the effort forward towards understanding the system. And it is really designed to get easier and easier. You know, like Stav was saying, the cover cropping, the mulching, adding the carbon back on top of the soil and the way that we structured our horizontal soil, shout out to Leighton Morrison. We have been able to make a system that will govern itself, how nature does. And, Biomimicry you know what I mean is what we're going after, but really we're just trying to utilize these natural systems that we see as ultra intelligence and learn how to guide them ourselves and help steward them to just help our process become easier and easier so I really do see everything kind of going on cruise control real soon hidden forest is is like my little baby you know that'll always be very very special to me and my partner Matt but I will say being a part of Helios has been spectacular as well. And a different thing, you know, it's a different thing. And working as a team is, in my opinion, how humans are meant to interact. I I like working as a team. It's always an ego check. It's always just improving me as a human being. Um, And I feel like as growers coming from... Potential black markets, potential hiding—you know—growing up with no science, with no help at all. Us growers have been really like spread apart and isolated, and it, it kind of sucks, you know. the 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 camaraderie isn't really there, you know. Maybe that's Maine, and because we're so spread out and there's so few people here, you know, maybe it's worse. But I could assume that in Northern California, up on the mountain, and in these other places that a lot of people are growing, that it's a similar thing, and. I really want to see collectives be like a breath of fresh air into, into this industry because the overall goal is just to make the, make a better product. You know, let's make better, let's push hash forward as fast as we possibly can.
0: And although you guys are repping the East coast and and like you said earlier in the interview, bringing more attention to it by, you know, for example, winning something like the ego clash, Stav you mentioned to me that the West coast has been a big influence on you guys and understanding that the soil and the type of cultivation and the inputs are really the base or the foundation of the hash and you're trying to bring some of that into your garden as well. Can you speak on that a little?
1: Absolutely. I mean, we've always been connoisseurs of hash ourselves. So being able to attain this product and see how other people are producing it across the country really was always a goal of ours to do to begin with. Once we started smoking hash, it was like, wow, we need to be able to somehow be able to make this quality product ourselves. You know, this is like what we, this is a part of our life at this point. So we always, for years, you know, we developed relationships and connections and had always um, been back and forth from, you know, the West coast to the East coast, just so we can, You know, attain the quality meds that we were looking for, as well as, you know, network and gain relationships in the same type of vision and um, quality product that we wanted. You know, Um, it really matters who you know to be able to get the best stuff that you're looking for. And I really think having a diverse palette of quality hash out there really allowed us to go in the direction that we were in to our style, our method, our theory behind it. Um, it really matters about the inputs and the style you're cultivating to be able to uh, produce the quality of medicine that we're looking for. So it was big for us to, you know, try and meet these, you know, people that we have either gotten their hash before and really looked up to it or also understanding their theory and how they go about it. And um, it was really cool. Hunter and I actually went out to visit Brandon from Kushkirk over. And uh, it was really cool to kind of see how his farm works and the inputs that he does and everything like that. And it was really just reassuring that, you know, everything that we know and that we've done is really, you know, the same, you know, it's nothing different. We're doing the same exact thing. And uh, it was really reassuring to all of us. I would say, so always chasing like that fire hash and the best product that we could get our hands on kind of laid out the roadmap for us to know what we wanted to do once we got into the industry. It kind of like paved the way of how we wanted to do things, the style we wanted to go and the product that we were looking for at the end of the day.
0: You know, even with all this knowledge, I found it super interesting. Uh, Stav mentioned that you guys also work with an agronomist what do you feel like that brings to your program alex it's the perfect
1: combination of you know the ancient agricultural methods that we're implementing on our farm as well as modern science it's it really gives us an in-depth look of how our soils are doing how they're progressing what they're deficient in everything that a healthy plant entails you know it gives us a not like a a forward view on things but we can assess problems and address them before anything shows signs of anything. So, you know, it really just fills in the gaps of what the ancients were doing and what we have uh, access to nowadays. Yeah. It really keeps us dialed and on track with what we're doing. just makes us, you know, Continue to know, like Alex said, problems before they approach, or if there is a problem, we can eliminate right away that, you know, it's not something in the soil, it's not an unbalanced issue, or, you know, a deficiency or anything like that. It really gives us an eliminating factor to problems and be able to structure forward. Testing is crucial. We use microbiologists, entomologists, 100% reach out to these experts. The challenge is some of these experts are just getting into cannabis. So we've been able to foster a really awesome open style relationship with certain people where we're both learning and it's really helped. Taking away the guesswork from from any situation just really helps. I can get in this forever, but cannabis strains are so different. We taste it, we smell it, we see it as growers. If you look at some tests, you'll see it in the tests. The plants uptake nutrients at different rates. They want more of certain, of certain nutrients than others. And we've all seen this as growers with certain plants not wanting to eat quite as much or not wanting as, as much water. And the way that we grow and the way that we grow at Hidden Forest also is each plant is its own case there isn't a one-size-fits-all diet that's going on. Um, Soil testing is always keeping our medium going in the right direction as far as nutrient trends go. Uh, We're always putting out our version of our microbes that we collect and we make with our compost. But tissue testing and seeing the differences between the strains and responding differently is, I think, why our product stands out. Um, Absolutely. We are diving as deep as I possibly know how to dive into this to break down these different strains. And like going into what Alex was saying, which is like perfect, is just like we are using these ancient techniques. And now as land stewards, we need to reach out to anyone that can help us do that better. So we're willing to do so. And uh, I think it's helped us a lot.
0: So can you tell us a little bit more about like how this actually happens or what the process is of, do you test every plant? Are you testing the soil on every
1: plant? Um, you- yeah, yeah, I can definitely get into it. I mean, it's I, I, it's somewhat proprietary to a point if it's like, you know, I'm not going to go t- too deep into
0: it. but For sure, as much as you, or as little as you like.
1: Yeah, you know, realistically, we're testing our soils. We want to see what we're lacking or what we have enough of and we want to make sure that it's balanced. So basic soil chemistry, step 101, you know, we structure and make our own soils. We test our soils to make sure that they're balanced or going in the right direction that we want for our crops. Um, as far as like individualizing the plant, you can tissue test any plant that you want. You know, that's what I will say. If you think a plant needs something different, you can find out, you know, and it can be beyond a guess. It, it it can be definitely beyond a guess. You see growers just eye up plants and say, oh, this is deficiency in this, you know, an X, Y, and Z. This is a calcium deficiency. This is whatever. And honestly, through tissue testing, I'm not going to get into exactly which ones, but some of them, some of the classic, oh, this purple stem is this, is not the case. And some of the products sold and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an organics guy, but especially in the organic world, some of the products that people are buying are not what are not testing like what they like, what they are supposed to be. So the gist gets, gets into trying to create your own nutrient sources, started getting into it with the compost, but Korean natural farming, certain aspects of that we utilize. We like to measure them, though. I've had some wide variability with some of those inputs but you know anything that you can create on site for cheap that is a nutrient and it's not harmful to the planet we're trying to utilize and if we can use testing to be able to utilize that better then great.
0: And funny enough I feel like all this work and understanding behind the soil now has led you guys to produce your own soil without really ever having that to be an intention. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: yeah um <laughs> we didn't have soil when we moved on to our po- yeah like I bought my property in the middle of winter so uh, we were really trying to get out of the life that we we're in we we're ready to go so we bought the property we had and we we were not working with much soil if you uh, take a look at our page you know it kind of goes through the way we did our field the way we structured our field uh, we did these like it was uh, at at the time we were trying to go for a hybrid of the hugel culture aspect, but a sub-irrigated one so that we weren't adding too much height for, you know, building a greenhouse tunnel over top. So like we did these sub-irrigated almost like hugel trenches is what we called them. And it kind of goes over that whole thing, but we had no soil. So yeah, we were, ro- it was like rock and clay and giant pieces of ledge that we couldn't get out, pull out with any type of, you know, big old machine or drill through. So we really were like, you know, what agricultural technique is the best for this area, which uh, was the no-till approach. You know, we want to add on top as much carbon, as much extra organic matter, you know what I mean? The, best, the That's the best thing that we could do. So we had to make our own cannabis-specific soil, you know, so I went down the rabbit hole. You know, I did it all. I, you know, KIS, Build a Soil, the Coast of Maine, it's like a big company by us. A lot of people. And I've done the Coots mix, like a lot of these plastic mixes. We tried them out our first year. We went through a lot of them and we ended up developing our own recipe without soil testing, just based off of like, you know, grower intuition and just like trying it out. And it worked for a while. In our no till system, but then we had to basically learn the chemistry side of everything and go through soil testing. And, you know, I think a lot of growers have gotten to the point where their no till system isn't working as far as nutrients and they don't know what to do because a lot of organic guys are like against feeding. And so they don't know what to do. They're like, if this isn't working and water only isn't going to fix it, I'm kind of screwed here. And we were those guys. So we had to work our way through it. And that got us in to, you know, feeding and soil chemistry. Uh, we were already kind of well-versed on the microbiology side and kind of more so relying on Korean natural farming stuff and compost. And then, you know, we learned how to kind of dissect everything that we were using through that process.
0: Cool. And I think if anything, it also just creates a diversification for your farms. And Tov shared with me that it also creates a cool dynamic where Uh, you have these like sister farms that you can work with. And sometimes you can even provide that soil to them and have that kind of continuation of not only genetics, but what's basically growing the plants as well.
1: Absolutely. And it, it, it all ties back into fortifying our medical program as well. We want good growers that we're friends with that are making good moral decisions who aren't spraying pesticides and they're trying to do the best they can and their products are really good we want to show them the power of solventless extracts. We want to help them get that on on shelves. We want to process it for them. We want to give them soil. We want to support the market. We want the market to be fierce and competitive. And that's just a, it's just gonna push hash. Our main kind of goal is like to supersede the ego of the individual company. We want things to be not about the individual. We want things just to be about the hash. We just want the hash to be better and getting better. That's it. I don't care if it's one person or three people, you know, or five people. i don't I don't care. Um, I just want the goal to be about the plant and pushing the plant and hash.:
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's what it comes down to, you know, so let's talk a little bit about the resin. You guys grow in a variety of settings. I mean, like you said, most of it is outdoor. I know, Stav, you mentioned there's a small indoor that's used maybe like during the off peak times as yep. well. What have you guys seen from the resin in these varied settings? The full term has been the best. Yep. Yeah. The full, full term the is year. by
1: far the best resin that we have harvested, I'd say. And it's clear best with quality the two, Yeah. It's the best quality. Able to see it. Yeah. Everything. Um, with, you know, back with indoor, his, the meltability. Like I know that I said that it's, it's way more (laughs) melt outside. (laughs) It's a lot more terpy. It, It greases a lot more. It's that grease that you're looking for. It is strain dependent, but like Hunter said, overall yields are better. Quality of the hash is better. Um, I feel like indoor, you're really getting more of a, maybe a cleaner, um, melt with not having as many contaminants in it, but As far as the quality of the melt in general, I, in my opinion, in what we've experienced, Sun Grown produces the best. I think there's indoor versions of certain strains that might be better for our climate, you know, being harsh and certain strains aren't going to be able to necessarily finish in our photo period that we get. But as far as the strains that we can run, which we have to go through them to find them, it's... That's why not, there's not a lot of people doing this in Maine because it is pretty challenging. There's a few issues with our season that you have to really like, you know, work with. So the strains though that do well, that don't mold, that we don't lose crop to, and that produce very, very good resin, I think those are better outdoor than indoor. Even with knowing that I've run indoor strains myself and been like, damn, I think this one might be a little better as an indoor strain. But I feel like the ones that we run, that's not really the case. Couldn't agree more.
0: So Alex, you brought up earlier about taking this first year to figure out things like pest pressure, which I'm curious about. But you you also made a comment in your Instagram that said thriving in your zone, which I think is interesting because like you were saying, Hunter, it's not that easy, I would assume, to grow sun-growing resin in Maine because the season's maybe can be a little extreme. So tell in us, short, let's yeah. just start where like, what is a season in Maine? Like how long, how long is it?
1: I mean, it's so variable. It it varies from year to year. Like we could have an early snow in, you know, we've had it as early as mid-October when, you know, obviously you're still harvesting a lot of your plants. Like well, that's not uncommon for us to have a snow then. So it it varies from year to year. Our springs are, you know, pretty rainy and, and mild here. So, you know, it gives us a good head start in and, and our light deprivation greenhouses to see what kind of like we're dealing with there. But uh, a season's very short. It's like three to four months here that you really get to be outside and give it your all in the, that short little period of time. We can plant around June. We can come like outside into like a greenhouse with a basic heater into it, like, Halfway through May, or a nicer heater like in the beginning of May. But it's short, it's fast, timing is crucial. I've learned that the hard way where my plans were just way too small. Like I was just like, wow. And uh, like the whole variability thing is just really odd. Like it's not, I feel like that's not how it was in Pennsylvania. It was way more predictable. Like this is essentially what we're going to deal with every year. But this past season in October, we had. 60 degree days randomly for like almost like a week in the middle of harvest and under the hoops were like 80 degrees and the week before it was literally freezing three nights in a row it just kind of gets really crazy but yeah, like we said like it really is about finding strains that work and i feel like i kind of had to have that patience because we we just had what we had and we kept doing the outdoor. We just kept doing, we just kept running it back, you know, and finding the strains that we liked. And eventually I think it's the way to go. I think, I think anyone, almost anywhere in this country, there's obviously certain places that are going to be just damn near impossible probably to do it. But with some hoop houses, I feel like, I feel like you can figure it out. It just takes time.
0: Yeah. And Stav, you brought up uh, a term that usually is associated with the Northern California microclimates, but Alex, you referenced this earlier how Maine is a big state and you guys are like in the south. What do you feel like your specific terroir brings to your resin?
1: I think our little area, we're surrounded by mountains and lakes. So there's like a lot of moisture in the air in the morning that kind of like rolls through our field and it starts at the top of our property and kind of rolls down the hill into our field and then rolls out through the woods so I don't know what it brings to our plants itself, but it definitely is tough to deal with just some of that. And then, for instance, we had an entire month of rain this past yeah this past summer. So it's definitely a very wild little little climate area that we're dealing with. But it, I guess it really just tests us and pushes us to you know be attentive to so many different things. And I guess all of those variables produces some of the best product because it forces you to be so attentive to everything naturally it forces you to prime everything and fine-tune everything absolutely yeah so as far as what the climate does to our specific product as far as taste we can't really tell you it's our first year and i think this next year will give us more of a in-depth look of that because obviously we'll be dealing with not the same climate like uh, hopefully this summer we won't have a whole month of rain and hopefully it's not as moist in the air so i think that would give us a more yeah in depth look of how our specific climate affects our strains but right now our climate because it's so intense forces us to just be attentive to everything across the board that's why the resin's so good exactly <laughs> because of uh you know we do deal with harsh climates but you know at the end of the day the uh, the resin is is a defense mechanism on the plant. So it's really, you know, certain stressors will bring out different things. That's why in different climates, you can really um, attain different types of, you know, either terps or or anything like that, you know? So it really does bring out a difference in it, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. That's part of the reason I was bringing it up is because uh, you were saying, and you even referenced today is just like some of the extreme cold, And some of these extreme shifts that you're going through maybe even in a day and you know how that's stressing the plants and how that's affecting the resin is super interesting and it will be interesting to continue seeing year after year you know how that translates into it
1: yeah and like also in Maine like we have extremely fertile ground we have very clean water very clean air so that all plays a huge factor as well in like the quality of the inputs that go into cultivating as well. You know, we're plugged into a extremely clean water table. You know, all of our plants are, you know, in beds in the ground. So they're plugging in and they're getting quality inputs. It's it's a, it's a great area to be in.
0: Which is actually uh, another interesting point is bringing up what Hunter was talking about and finding the genetics you mentioned you thought it would be interesting place to breed genetics and that mm-hmm. a lot of the genetics that might hold up in a difficult climate or microclimate like in Maine would probably hold up in most other places in an outdoor setting.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is something all of us have talked about. You know, all of us have the same, you know, idea on that because of, you know, we are in a harsh climate and what certain, you know, strains and genetics that thrive in this area will probably do extremely well in other areas that kind of deal with the same type of issues, but uh, maybe not as, you know, as harshly or as severe we overcome with where we're at. I think that's kind of like a goal of ours. All of ours is to, you know, have a collective project that we can use our areas of our farms, hunters farm, our farm and, and do breeding projects and figure out what type of genetics, you know, sustain in these microclimates and um, do well here, that's our goal and that will diversify what we can produce as well. And what we offer to the industry in general, if we can find some really, really hardy plants that are resistant to pests and molds in our climate, then like Stav said earlier, they're bound to do well in less severe climates. Hopefully we can just make that available to Growers everywhere, and they're gonna dump. Yeah,
0: <laughs> dumpers, big time. Yeah, that's cool. And again, uh, you know, back to what we were talking about—the soil. It's yet another way to diversify your farm. Now you're not—you're only cultivating, but you're processing uh, soil cultivation, breeding. So uh, that's exciting, you know, just all these different.
1: Exactly. I mean, it's the passion is to like, just, you know, we're all like, we want the best hash for ourselves, for our family and for our community. So it's like for the fastest we can progress and do all of these things and do it collectively, it's going to push things further faster. If we uh, do this together and, and utilize all of our resources and, you know, all of our opinions on, you know, what we want to cross, you know, something Alex might like, I might want to try a different crossover here that Hunter wants to try, you know, too. So it allows us to all see it and, and uh, bring it to the table. And then really all everyone benefits, you know, we benefit the consumer benefits. It's just an all around win. So like, that's, that's why we do, you know, certain things together.
0: Yeah, that's cool, man. Like I said earlier, I, it does have a feel of a family farm, which I know is kind of what you guys are going for. You yeah, know? absolutely. Well, cool. How do you guys feel about a second smoke break? I, I love like, that. Yeah. 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 All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I want to take a moment to thank everyone who makes up our community on Patreon for allowing us to continue to produce episodes, including episode 40 with Stav, Alex, and Hunter of Helios Hash, and to give a special shout out to some of our top contributors, including Kevin of Lifted in Dina, Garland in DC, the Hash Hive in SoCal, Ryan and Jonah in Illinois, the crew at Heritage Hash Co. Mendocino, David of Rosin Evolution, Melwalkie Jeff. My dude, The Real Cannabis Chris, DePesci44 in Connecticut, Side of Mids in Arizona, The Chile Relleno Burrito in Trinidad, Nick the Intern, Gastown Fire and their Green Cedar Retreat in Tofino, The Boys on the Big Island, Pressing for Show, Macro Melts in SoCal, The Homie Big C, Mission Hill Melts, and Anthony in Maine. I appreciate every single one of you. Now back to the episode. All right, cool. So let's talk about Hash. You guys have referred to yourselves as hash collectors, a term that I like. And I wish I had the discipline to be a collector myself. But what does that mean to you guys?
1: We try to support. And I mean, we're just hash consumers. Like that's like where we come from, you know. So we've all, you know, I think you and everyone else or most people that are probably going to listen to this are hash collectors in some shape or form. We really just are down to go try, you know, whoever is proud of their work and support them and hope that the hash is as good as we hope it is. And that's kind of where we came where we came from. So kind of like what Stav was saying with COVID and everything it's like the last thing people need is like a, a kick in the butt. Uh, you know, let's get all of our own quality and everything. So, yeah, I really like to enjoy what other people put forward. Like Hunter said, it's like, you know, it's a, it's showing like all of your love and attention into a product and, you know, solventless, I feel like is the best form to show that, you know, the farmer did the right job. If the quality is there that, you know, that we're looking for, it's really showcasing that you did the right things in your garden. That's really what uh, it comes down to. Being able to have diversity of other hash that we've tried out there, it really is nice to enjoy other people's hash that you know they've put in the love and the time and did the right things to meet the quality product that we like and the fruits of their labor, so to speak. Exactly. That's like Hunter said, that's where we came from. And, you know, we've always wanted to have the best hash and I've always been trying to be sought after what can be produced quality that we like and yeah we've tried a lot of different things out there and there's only so much that is like the pinnacle by trying everybody else's hash they're you know more willing to try our hash if you're open to it you know
0: i was just talking to somebody about this the other day that it it is kind of funny sometimes to me to talk to a good amount of processors and a lot of processors don't really get to try a lot of other processors stuff. It's like their own stuff because they're kind of in their own little bubble. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there are, but that's kind of an interesting philosophy or way of looking at it that you guys have. But you did start smoking flour, right? Even though you're still pretty young, yes. you oh, guys yeah. were like of, of the flower. Yeah. era. Yeah, oh, least, yeah. No, the flour we still
1: smoke flour too. Just, yeah. Yeah. Flour is flower is the pinnacle I yeah, mean talk about good. the most transparent product. I would be interested to put one of these hash competition you know all the all the farmers in a flower competition and see how it all burns i mean it's it's a different game there's people that I know that i You know, I smoke my own flour for sure, and maybe one or two other people around here flour that are just close enough to me that I trust. And it's like a whole different game, man. It's like hats off to the dudes still just running flour. People need to do that, man. Like, I think just kind of like how solventless is a really good way into how proper the farmer is. I think flour might be the most transparent product you can put out there. Unfortunately, we all know people that wash some suspect, you know, product that comes out looking better than it looked as a plant. That's for sure. And it could trick, easily trick people. So we really put flour up on the top shelf for
0: sure. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, in the sense that there's also added difficulty, I feel, of getting flour just right. You know, being able to dry it properly properly cure it properly outside of all the stuff that comes before that and i'm not saying that that's not there with the hash but it is interesting to me that you say that that is kind of like the truest representation because it also is interesting to see like the resin by itself and now i think that the resin is getting more processed let's say into batters and stuff things can all start looking a little alike
1: exactly it's very easy to put masks on the more it's processed and for sure, that's why it's a lot of, there's a like a little amount of hash that really stands out at the end of the day. You know what I mean?
0: You do put out a decent amount of hash, it looks like. Why is it important to you? Similar to the question I asked earlier about the competition, why is it important for you to put out melt to your patients?
1: We're working on it here. Honestly, people <laughs> in Maine definitely like rosin for very, very good and understandable reasons. You know, like I get it. I totally get it. We all smoke a lot of rosin. Also, I feel like something that people don't talk about a lot is some of these strains that are really good aren't always that good of milk overall. you know like papaya. Maybe other people have had a better a better go at it or maybe they have a different cut or something, but from people I've chatted with, it's just overall it's a very stable resin. It's a little drier, it doesn't really melt into a puddle and uh in my opinion, from me washing it and growing it a few times, it's like you know five five and a half star like it's up there, but not like you know i I couldn't enter it as melt into a competition just based on the fact that it might not really be considered like a full melt product, and the rosin of that is constantly being smoked by me so I really don't get into the melt over rosin or rosin over melt. It's kind of, it's pretty obvious that they're both great to me and that one is a little more convenient than the other. So, yeah. You know, and I feel like not a lot of people had a lot of access to melt out here. So it's like now that, you know, consumers, other people are educated that it's available, it's even available is a big thing out here because no one's really releasing melt. And then most people don't even know either how to consume it or, or what to do with it. So it's evolving out here. It's slowly coming as consumers are getting more educated that it's available and, you know, what it is and how to consume it and how to preserve it. And I think that's the hardest part with having it is like preserving the melt properly. Or, you know, I, if, if you're going to buy the jar, usually you're going to smoke out of it and let it grease over and do its thing. So yeah, it's it's evolving out here, but that that's like primarily what I like to smoke is like melt. So I feel like it's a big aspect of us to try and strive to have certain strains like Hunter said that in our gardens that we can like have that melt that we're looking for and that's kind of what we're looking for is melt and not all strains produce it. So it's pretty rare as it comes. We also just like to provide uh, a variety of products to our, our patients, too. And, you know, just like we are hash collectors, that comes along with variety as well. You know, we just, variety is the spice of life. So, you know, pick up a gram of melt if you've never hit it before and pick up some grams of rosin just as you keep safe and have at it.
0: Yeah. Speaking of the variety or spices, a variety let spices of. Let me see how much. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you guys were all smoking a bunch of flavors during the smoke breaks what, what were some of them again Oh, uh, so
1: i smoked some of our rainbow belts i actually have some of this trop cookies melt in front of me which i absolutely love because it just greases over into a puddle and um it's you know an energetic high and it's a palate cleanser and it hits everything that i'm looking for so it's been a good one throughout the day you know, and you know, smoking on some papaya cake and some cherry daiquiris. Just I'm a big fruit fan, so gives you a nice, uh, nice taste in your
0: mouth for a good conversation. Z ZQ? Had add to nice, and the pilotti that you mentioned. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: The first, uh, the first uh, was that I got some uh, banana papaya. Also, a really, really awesome tropical banana flavor. The diversity is what we're there yeah, for. <laughs> exactly. We just love to spice up our palate by just hitting one
0: here and one over here. You uh-huh. know? Yeah. And Stav, I think you told me you guys have like a hundred varieties plus or so genetics-wise and that it's just yeah, hard for you to, to get, get rid of, of stuff. Yeah. It's hard to get
1: rid of um, certain strains, even though they don't make as much melt. You know, the flour could be really nice. We're trying to strictly only, you know, hold on to strains that we believe uh, meet that criteria for hash that we're looking for. That's been a lot of trying to thin out what we have. We can't keep everything. Um, we do have, you know, being our first season, we did a lot of pheno hunting. So we have a lot of different phenos that we've you know held and kept and ran over the winter to bounce back after each other after each other and and kind of dial into you know the ones that actually make hash. So we finally are at that point, which has been months of you know combing through our genetic library and um, really honing in the ones that make hash. That's kind of one of the one downfall of being collectors is that it's tough to let some things go. Yeah, but Especially, we gotta make room yeah. for more <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're definitely hoarding. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, it's so worth it. Even if, like, you save one plant that should have not been killed's life, it's like, yes, it's like <laughs> totally worth it. So, and understanding that we like want to do breeding in the future with all of our projects, having, you know, a stable of things that we know that we like
0: <laughs> that we can cross with it, stuff that we yeah, also is
1: always uh, nice, you know? Yeah.
0: We so, as a side note, I'm curious about your mom room because one of the issues a lot of people have is just not having the space to be able to maintain all these plants. So did you guys pre-prepare for this? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's like what we use our, basically our indoor floor is for vegging and moms at this point. And we have, uh, that takes up a majority of our space. And Hunter, in same situation as him as well on his personal farm too. Yeah, we have like a four lighter, but I'm drying weed in it right now. So I'm not, I haven't fired it up. But besides that, we just have like another like four lights for veg and then like a pallet rack. So not really much space. A lot of plants, you know, like, like stop saying, we each have close to or over a hundred plants, depending on a hundred different strains, depending on the time of the year. I had the opportunity to help a couple people grow just as a young, a young kid. And, you know, I was just old enough, you know, I'm 32. I was just old enough to really get sour for like a chunk of my life, you know, where like the, it, it was the real one for sure. And it was around and now it's not. And my, a few of my homies had it and I just as as a non-grower I never understood why so many of my homies that were growers would just like not keep any of the strains. There'd be just magical phenotypes or even cuts that they would just not keep. They just didn't have a mom room and I like promised myself when I, if I ever have my own grow, I will the first thing I'm doing is building a mom room. Like I totally understood that that was huge going into this and um I think most people now see how important that is with all the different flavors of hash and it's important to have a really diverse menu that's actually good so you need to go through a lot of strain and be like this is pretty good this is pretty good and pick the ones that are like really stand out so you spent the year like Stav said going through a lot of seeds a lot of cuts so <laughs> um, yeah. no many cuts yeah yeah and you know we all know cuts come with gambles you know like it's <laughs> it's risky business but it's worth it it's definitely like in my opinion worth it to hoard plants but it's it's like double edged sword you're like oh i have all these plants you're like oh man i have to take care of all these plants and they're all different and one different different everything so
0: and what is the protocol for bringing in cuts isolation, oh. yeah, isolation yeah isolation quarantine
1: isolation without pesticide application
0: let's see what's good you know how long is uh, this period is there a certain amount of time that you guys are giving could be two Um, months
1: yeah it really depends you know we'll scope it to see if there's any you know obviously russets is the main concern with microscopic insects but you know we know the usuals (laughs) Uh, we also like to just take snips like i'd rather not have roots possible. So whenever we can, we'll just be like, Hey, can you take snips? And we can always dunk those and root them and feel pretty good at that point. After a little bit, we can get a tissue sample sent out. We can test it for a virus. That's kind of probably our next step with that being kind of the new trends with, you know, some some of these older strains, uh, bringing in whatever kind of virus, slowly working through your mom. So we're always trying to just do whatever we can, but the reality is, people want different, different flavors, and not all of them are that good. So, you know, we got to get through them. We got to see. So yeah, and it's always like a jump start if we can get something that we know that makes hash that we we like that strain. You know, we'll do whatever we can to try. If we'll take, you know, precautionary measures to do what we can to pull in certain strains that if we want to utilize them, we will but it all sees, you know, how well they do in the quarantine stage and if they're worth actually running.
0: Yeah, again, going back to your entry, I found it interesting that I'm assuming the Rainbow Belts, or maybe one of them was a cut, but one of them was one that you guys popped?
1: Uh, no, then, they're actually both
0: cuttings. Yeah. And then obviously the ice cream cake is a cut as well, I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, that's so, the classic one. Gets passed around.
0: Mm-hmm. So... Relating your interest in having all these different flavors and then going back to something you also said to me, which was we can only be so big because you feel like that's the way that you can keep the quality up. How do you balance those things out?
1: Well, (laughs) yeah, it's tough because we want to like produce more variety, but it's we can only like handle so much with how many there are of us and how much work there is. Like Alex was saying, it's a, us doing everything full term. It's very labor intensive because it's, you know, big plants and we have all our family has, you know, our licenses on our farm. So um, we can produce like 150 full term plants and just it takes a lot of work. Um, we can only do so much. We'll see kind of how how much more we can handle as, you know our system is kind of being on more of a cruise control now. So we're not building any infrastructure or putting up greenhouses or anything like that. We kind of have it set in our systems there and our irrigations in um, to be able to do more, you know, plant work that we'd like to do and not have to, you know, start from a fresh slate, you know. Yeah, I think, Just another cool thing about running full term in Maine is we do it by plant count. So we can grow X amount of plants. It doesn't matter how big they are. There's no size constraint. So what we do with our long veg time, or long-ish veg time with a full term season is we fill the hoops. So that being said, we can, we only really run like 12 plants max of any strain. So We can get a huge variety in one full harvest, which is a massive harvest, but we're really just seasonal. We don't really crank out besides that one time. So, you know, and that's with just using our season. We don't have a light bill with that. Like our running costs is, you know, lower and lower every single year. And like we can produce a large amount at one time, but overall not a large amount for the year where our products will run out. So there is some room to grow, and we're trying to kind of you know navigate those waters of should we fortify, should we grow, should we push this? Should we hang back? Because, like Stav said, we are gonna be a little bit on cruise control, but really, you know, I think this season is gonna be about just sticking to our guns. We'll see how sales continue to go, obviously you know we've been in the limelight recently the awareness is up we have no idea where this thing goes from here as far as you know sales and anything but we do want to have rarity that is what a craft artisan product normally is it's not necessarily blown out for the masses constantly so we do like the idea of seasonal this is when it's available basically like you know november until august you can find our hash in shops maybe or through someone. And then it's, there's going to be a point where it's like, well, (laughs) we got to wait another three months or so, you know? And And that's the beauty of it. (laughs) Our indoor space is too small to really calculate essentially. And mainly is going to be used as infrastructure of, you know, to fortify what we want to focus on for the most part. So that's kind of, In response to your question, like how we can incorporate all these flavors in a large way, but not be in a situation where we're overproducing and it's just maxing out our bandwidth. And it's just, you know, it's not a stressful thing. It's like a very natural way to roll out our flavors and then be able to take a little break.
0: And you are producing a small amount from that indoor during the non-season part, I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, Yeah, uh, we've been testing strains and... uh, Yeah, we've been testing a lot of the phenos that we popped this past season indoors. Popping a lot of seeds as well just to get more flavors. Exactly. We basically did another large pheno hunt to see if we can have more to bring out into our sun ground. Yeah, we essentially run our moms and seeds right now. So we'll be getting a bunch of cuttings off of all of our moms for the depth for the full term, which is a lot of cuttings. And then we're like, well, you know, screw it. Let's just fire these out. Exactly. That's essentially <laughs> been what every harvest has been coming out of there that were seeds. And then our depths were, the first step was like basically all seed. And then we've been re- re-going through like yeah so many 25% of those phenos again that because you know we like them a lot but we didn't get to hash them all because they're each like an individual plant. And exactly. it's it's just a long multi-stage process of constantly cycling through a bunch of different stuff. So the indoors serve to prove a pretty good purpose for that. But we really, you know, see we want to yeah, present our products years from our sustainable to build a outdoor diverse field. menu that yeah. like you know we can create off of all of our our selected things that we like coming out of our garden. So it's gonna take some time to continue this same process over these years and just continue to do find more. Yep. Refine it, re- redo it, refine it more, that type of thing.
0: Cool. So let's talk about processing a little. I know last year was only year one, but I think we've mentioned this in this conversation, you guys are processing for other people as well. Can you tell us a little bit about the space you've created to process? Yeah.
1: So um, we created a, you know, a cold environmental room on our lab that Um, allows us to process our own material, but we've made it in an efficient way that we can be able to take on work with, like you spoke about, like sister farms that we either work with, that we provide them, you know, either soil services or either hunters, friends that he's provided to build up their gardens and whatnot and, and structure them more in a solventless production so it's just, it's kind of allowed us to, and as well as having the light of, you know, the ego clash, now people are asking us, can you, can you manufacture our hash for us or, or wash our hash for us? So um, we've now, you know, developed a, a client network that we can utilize our service to provide them a quality solventless
0: service. And at this point, are you, do you have enough material that you're washing every day? Honestly, we're finishing up our
1: <laughs> our full term from uh, last season. And um, it's been a balance between you know our stuff um, as well as trying to help um, other farmers in our community. Like this goes along to what Hunter said is to you know build up the medical community so everyone can benefit off each other and work together. So providing this you know service, um Allows other people to provide this type of product as well, which is, you know, now having a lot more steam and, and want into the market. So it's, it's a great thing. And um, to work with, you know, specific type of farms that we align with, with, you know, their cultivation techniques, the type of strains that they're running and uh, stuff like that kind of allows us to work with the type of material that we're really looking for. So, and to make the hash that we're really looking for too. Exactly. So it's not, we we don't work with like just everyone in that aspect, but you know, um, we've done our due diligence and created the networks that we have to work with quality farmers that are putting in the same love and passion. It was kind of like a domino effect too. Like, we needed a substantially nice and good-sized lab to be able to do our own single source, and to be able to grow into. I built my own lab like a couple years ago. I'm already, you know, way too big for it. My ice machine doesn't really cut it. Like I have to revamp it. And the whole goal was to make something that is going to be able to process very high quality resin. And in doing that, we realized that our design could facilitate the toll processing model easily. It was like, oh, great. I have multiple homies that have amazing products and they just don't get out much and they don't know how to sell products. And I'm sure everyone has a friend that's like that where they're like, wow, like this guy's product is so slept on. Like no one even knows about this guy and it's so good. We've been able to help them, like, hey, man, you know, like run these cuts. They, they watch, you know, like they do well. Like, you know what I mean? Run a couple rows of these cuts and we'll wash it. And like, check out how that helps with your financial situation. Like, maybe that'll help, maybe it doesn't, but we know certainly it's not going to hurt for sure for someone to jump out and wash a couple strains that we know wash and also sell. So, you know, it's just really just always like a team effort, essentially. And um, why not provide a service that, quite frankly, isn't really provided here right now?
0: So, between your garden and the sister gardens, and even your garden hunter, there's a bunch of genetics. How have you gone about finding the ones that wash? Like, are you doing jartex? Do you prefer on the live plant? You know, you hear people talk about the sandy resin or the stringy kind of tacky resin. What are you guys looking for? And what part of the process does that come in?
1: Well, yeah, with pheno hunts, you're going to be looking for specific resin texture. I'm looking for anywhere from that dry resin that you're, that you know, that uh, you're talking about to the tacky resin, but I'm mainly looking to see if it comes off on my hand. Like if I can at somewhat cold temperatures, touch it and see resin at all on my hand, I know that it has some capacity to wash certain strains you touch and it looks like you put your hand in water it's like you're like okay that's not going to wash that's like completely greased out so we're always going through and looking for that texture but in both of our recent hunts with knowing the breeder and doing good research on the breeder there wasn't a pheno that wasn't going to wash we were able to really kind of just hunt through for what we thought was a good plant and and stunk you know we're like damn this is this one is the terpiest one. Let's go with this one unless it grows like complete garbage. And then it's like, damn, then it's still worth maybe keeping even, you know, but going through the motions with seeds and then with clones, obviously you usually ideally have more of an idea of what they're going to do already. Um, most of the clones that I've brought in, I knew what they were going to do in an indoor, not in an outdoor. So that, there's a big like open element to how that can go. But usually I'm like, okay, like if it can survive the season, it's probably going to wash if it washes in an indoor to some, to some capacity. So we're always using our century inputs and however much data we have for whatever strain, always reaching out to the homies, you know, yo, have you ran this, you know, what do you think about this breeder seeds? And recently it's all been for resin, you know? So
0: and what's a standard batch size for you guys in fresh frozen when you are washing?
1: If we're trying to load up load up completely, I think we usually wash around you know twenty k fresh frozen grams at a time. Yep. yep we can run we can run that back at least twice, you know probably twice, so people that aren't in the lab aren't you know pissed off <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know. It's really more so the style in which we wash, which might not be special to anyone else, but at least we know how it gets washed. Yep. And we know the hands that touch it. And if it's not us doing it, the, 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 the people that we have in that laboratory are extremely professional. And I think we extract at a very, very high level. I think the lab settings that we have the guarantees that we can provide for certain, for certain people's clients just is just like great. You know, I don't even have that at my own farm and I do my own processing there because I have a lab there, you know, but at Helios, we can zap the room of all moisture and gram up your melt for four hours and literally like have your melt like it was inside the freeze dryer. It's connected to a generator. You know what I mean? Like we've all had, you know, weird energy issues during a cycle. It's not, it's not ideal, yeah. you know, in the middle of a dry cycle to have your unit shut off, you know, um, and, and not know when you can turn it back on. And at Helios Hash, you know, we will take people's product and treat it like our own, um, which is not really, there, there is some people that have really good processing here, but not toll. I don't think there's very good toll processing. So, and I think, as a grower, toll processing the probably the best the best bet
0: for you so and when you are washing these twenty thousand grams, you guys are doing this by hand?
1: We can do it by hand, we can do it with washers. We're not really uh into discerning which is better or worse um there's There's benefits to both. I've done my own side side by sides with washers versus versus hand washing. I used to do everything by hand. I don't always anymore. That's, I mean, just, you know, my side-by-side didn't have any melt difference. And I think there's some factors to loading these different kinds of machines and making sure that there's enough, you know, water to ice to actual frozen material ratios are all correct and getting everything right. There's a lot of fluctuations, a lot of variables. But from what I've seen, I like micro batches. So take that as you will. You can do that by hand. You could do it in a washer unit that are all connected. You know, there's there's so many different ways to wash. And uh, after being at the Ego Clash, I realized like hardly anyone does it the same. Yeah. So I really don't think there's too much to it. I think like the biggest thing we can all really come to a uh, common ground on is that it's the material you're washing is the number one factor. So yeah, we just try to keep our quality up, especially for tall processing. Like we are, we're looking at, we're going through the material. We know the growers. It's like we're choosing to work with them because we think their products are really good. So it's been a really good experiment. You know, it's been fun. I think a lot of people have enjoyed the services so far. Yeah, so and as well. it, we've only been doing it for not too long now. so. Yeah. It's uh it's only growing.
0: Because you do pull melt and you make rosin, do you guys pull different bags when doing one or the other? And going back to what we were talking about earlier, do you grow plants specifically and you're like, we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna grow this one for melt? Or does it come down to once the plant is done, you're going through some kind of process to figure out what you want to release as what per se?
1: It's yeah, it's definitely tricky.
0: It's definitely tricky.
1: Melt pulling out melt, you know, there's there's people that don't want to see rosin with the melt pulled out of it. There's people that don't like like that want the melt to be like full spectrum. They want a seventy at least seventy through one forty nine is melt. There's people that don't want melt at all. They're like put it keep it all you know what I mean. It really is tough. We love melt, but the last thing we want to do is take all of the 90U out of the rosin and then sell people, you know, the rosin minus all the juice and then this $100 gram retailable product in a shop that no one's really going to have access to at, you know, here in Maine. It's just too much. It's too much money here in Maine. So we tried to do like a combination of the two, trying to meet in like the middle with outdoor like our full term extract, like stop saying there is some particulate and we're always trying to minimize that by not driving anything down there and watching the dust. And like, we have greenhouse hoops, which really helps, but that's really the focus is just like, you know, cleanliness and everything with that. So, yeah. And it really comes down to like how it performs in the lab, you know, certain, certain strains are more stable than others. And you know we can't really tell that it's not always right out the gate by just growing the plant. you know it's really like when you wash it, you kind of can see you can feel the resin in between your fingers and feel if it's more of a stable or more of a greasy resin that uh allows us to you know really pick what we want to keep as as full melt throughout the process
0: yeah, and you mentioned last time that we were talking about some of the genetics you were running through, and I Believe you said you were were running some compound stuff and that you found some really nice, like grapey stuff, but that it wasn't really for hash. Do you guys put out flour as well?
1: Yeah, we do small batches, small batches, mainly to just more for ourselves. Supply ourselves and the guys on the farm that enjoy flour. You know, a lot of our flour is either tests like pheno hunts or older moms that we've taken cuttings off and flowered out. After like we've seen what they could do, so a flower isn't like our main focus to
0: keep. But yes, we do keep some of our flower, and it's pretty enjoyable. Yeah. Do you ever wash stuff that basically doesn't produce?
1: Yeah, all the yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's, uh, that's never, been yeah the uh, you know the the uh, the curve in in the hunting, but you know that's all part of it. You know, yeah. you're not going to always wash things that. You're not gonna always, you know, pop beans that everything washes, but I mean there's there are some. some that don't wash really much, but but they're just so good. Like what the comes yeah. out is just so amazing that
0: like it mm-hmm. kind of like hurts you that they don't wash. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it really does.
0: Yeah. I What's agree. a minimum number for you guys or how do you balance between like you find something that has a really amazing profile but spits two point five and then you find something Maybe that's a better yielder, but the terps aren't there. What's we'll, kind of a fringe number for you guys?
1: We'll run a 2.5 or all day in the full
0: term if it's really, really good. Yeah,
1: exactly. No, so No a, problem.
0: Product. and Yeah, I guess that's yeah, another sure. factor is definitely. like because you are doing full term big plants. Plants get so that, big. Yeah, that percentage definitely is skewed by the biomass that you have.
1: Yeah, exactly. and then indoor is like, Indoor is all about how fast does it veg and how long does it flower and like all these other things. So, you know, with indoor, it's like, yeah, you want something that's vigorous and fills the space. So you can veg for like a week or something, you know, or whatever. Um, the Indoor production, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So like a papaya running that cut in like an indoor, it definitely is like a shorter squatter plant and it doesn't reach for the lights when you flip it. So there's just big differences. We can run papaya and fill the hoop and we could run, you know, like a sunset Sherb or like something that's, you know, I've heard people say like their cutter Sherb is two and a half percent. And some people say there's just like four around four and a half. Like we could run whatever, like it didn't really matter. Um, But, you know, we also have strains that are just like, we have certain strains that are like 6% rosin, you know, like a few of them. So it's just, a blessing to have those because then it's like sure you know run that two or two and a half or as long as it's fire really you know
0: it's worth it yeah so speaking of rosin this is something that i was talking to dimitri and stuff about last time is outside of all these flavors that you have you seem to do a lot of blends and they were telling me that the blend process that you guys do is kind of unique and that you have a range of information of all these blends that you've done in the past that you would be able to reference at some point. Can you expand upon that a little?
1: Yeah, so I mean, we experimented with blends because it kind of diversifies what we can put forward for flavors. you know, you can't always achieve the same flavor that you would get blending the hash than if you were to like have a cross of the plant or something like that. So having controlled mixes and, like, really knowing what we like has really uh been able to, like, m- allow us to make kind of like a, almost like a library of, like, mixes that we've kind of done. And it's basically, like, at the end of the day, when we're smoking all of these flavors, I like to always try, like, a little bit of this with a little bit of that. And then... It's like, okay, well, why don't we mix this? It's and like a little like, rosin cocktail. Yeah, and it's like, you know, <laughs> we can we can have a little bit more of this, you know, flavor more prevalent. And then having this on the back end, it allows more layers on the palate. I feel like it also just diversifies our menu. And, um, you know, most most consumers are doing the same type of thing with their jars when they are at the end of them just mixing up the yeah. last of it and uh they love that so if we can produce something forward that we know that we like and um it hits our palate the right way we think that most consumers will enjoy that too so that's also kind of with the mixes i feel like you're able to get like really just nice pack punch hash rips you know like they yeah the effects just mix very well yes. when you mix two different types of uh hash together for sure. Yeah, it's like hash it's like the hash cup kind of culture coming into the retail market too, I think like cuz like the first time we ever did any of these mixes was through the clash. We were like, okay, let's people entered mixes and won the last one, you know, it was kind of like, wow, okay, like you know, when um heads that roll cats with their, you know, their combination, I was like, wow, okay. It was almost like, cool, like that's a green light. <laughs> like, let's see, let's see what this can do. And a lot of people entered mixes, you know, so it was crazy. Yeah, like, the rosin, the rosin winner was like a three or four way mix or something like that, I think. Uh, and when we came back, it was like kind of just responding to the market. People are like, can I get the Ego Clash winner? You know, let me try a gram of that. And <laughs> yeah. then we are like, all right. And then, we also brought the trop belts, which was one of our contenders to enter. Yes. As well. And people were like, Oh, this is really good. And then so we came back and all of a sudden there's ice cream cake and mix with rainbow belts available and trot belts. And then from there it's like, why not? He as a consumer, it. I like it. There's you know, I doubt other consumers aren't gonna really like it. And like Stav was saying, like, it's just like the diversification is endless. <laughs> yeah, it's a way of the future to just being able to, you know,
0: offer more diversity in our gardens too, you know? Yeah, I agree. I've, I'm a fan of mixes or blends. I know everybody has kind of their personal preference, but one of the things that I mentioned to you last time that I find exciting about them is that unlike when it's like one string, in the blends sometimes you hit different pockets of notes so like some of it might be like prop heavy some of it might <laughs> be yeah. heavy. so like it it's also interesting is just depending where you are in the jar uh, yeah. and just how it happens to fall kind of thing that i that i find unique but yeah it definitely adds another element to all these other strings that you already have and i i do find it fascinating how you guys are combining them and on the processing side though you told me you never wash them together unless you really know that they're going to work well together. It's usually like you make the rosin and then there's like a post blending. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Although like this past, like yesterday we were in the lab (laughs) and we were actually, we washed like three strands together and it it did really well. And um, we're just experimenting, you know, we're going to see how it does, and we we it's in the freeze dryer now. We haven't pressed it yet, so we don't have exact rough numbers, but we did start to try um, certain things because we only had a certain amount of fresh frozen grams ratio-wise, so we're like, why not just run it together? Let's just try it, you know, and um, it's not going to be more of a – we can't control how much flavor we're going to get from each one that way, but we can kind of see how well it does they're all good washers. So
0: yeah, that's cool.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's all an experiment. Yeah. And like having a original menu also as well, like you, like we try to have like, Hey, these are, these are the cultivars that I grew. These are some mixes that I have. And people are like, cool. Like, and you have some, some people that are like loving the mixes, you know, they're like, Oh man, like they're not even on the original menu at all anymore. (laughs) They're just like, I want this and that. And you're like, all right, man, great. But you know, and if at like the end of the day, if the consumer is really asking for that, sure. You know, there's so many different combinations that could be made with one strain. (laughs) Yeah. It's like we have 16 strains we grew. How many combinations could there be? Like it's it's just fun. It's just fun. And I feel like there's always gonna be someone that's gonna be like, oh well, I wish I knew this was that you know, or something, which I totally get, you know what I mean? But we're just trying, we just are like honest about what it is. It's like, this is what, this is what it is. If you want to buy the Wedding Crasher as Wedding Crasher, which, you know, you can, great. If you want to buy the Wedding Crasher mixed with three other strains, that's called this, and here's what it is, then great. It's like, sure, do it up. (laughs) Yeah, take our own recipes.
0: like i said it just adds another kind of feature to your menu so i don't i don't see it as a bad thing i see it as a good thing for sure well if you guys are still having fun i am i'm down for another smoke break if you want <laughs>
1: How you
0: doing, man oh yeah all right cool shout out to our homies and main sponsors rosin evolution the best bags in the game you can visit them at rosinevolution.com or on Instagram at Rosin Evolution 100. No matter what experience level you have processing, having the best tools of the craft is a great starting point, which is why if you're pressing hash, why not do it with the most trusted brand in Rosin, Rosin Evolution. Their bags are being used in many of the top labs in the nation, trusted by many of the top processors around for being consistently reliable. So if you're making Rosin, no matter whether you're a novice like myself or you're processing daily, you can find everything you need, as well as amazing customer service at rosanevolution.com and save 5% on your entire order by using our savings code. The letters THI, the number 710, that's THI 710, saves you 5% at rosanevolution.com. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. Now, this is such an interesting topic to me because I've thought about this quite a bit, but you mentioned in our last conversation stop that you guys are going to piggyback off the wine industry and start aging hash or rosin. And has that already begun?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is something we all kind of talked about that might be a a good idea to consider um, with the way that the industry is going. And like, it is, it is kind of piggybacking the wine industry with, How, uh, you know, entertainment is now being brought in with it and all and all all these different aspects. And I think that it wouldn't be a bad idea to vault something that we like and release it four or five years from now, even knowing it's our first season. Why not vault something like, you know, something that we won the ego clash with or something like that and bring it out, you know, years from now. That one, we don't even grow that phenol anymore. We can already mark that off. But, you know, five years from now, releasing we well, could be something cool. We don't know how it goes. It's very unpredictable, but it's not a bad uh, thing to consider. But it also gives you that ability of what you were speaking about before and comparing your product year on year. And that's when you could really answer the question of how your certain like climate affects the taste and outcome of your product at the end of the day you can literally compare oh this season was very dry this whatever and you know go back to year one of the same melt and
0: test it out valid compare it side by side
1: there'll be certain strains that will definitely grow again over the seasons and you know if we vault something from this past season and try the same type of strain four or five years from now and see if there's any comparison difference. Who knows? It's all. Exactly. It's all, it's all experimental. Yeah. So would be something cool to consider.
0: Yeah. And, and again, uh, like you guys brought up, you have also the outdoor variables, you know, exactly. like the season, how was the season like in that particular, and that, definitely relates to also wine
1: exactly exactly.
0: where it's not just yes it is this thing of like almost documenting these strains that likely won't be running the same at least it might be like in other stuff and built upon or in a different way but it probably won't be the stuff that you're running now in five years you know kind of thing so i find it to be a really interesting concept and then beyond that i don't know that this isn't something that any of us can really answer but It'll be interesting to see also what happens to the resin over time and this idea of like aging and curing. I don't know, you know, in a cold environment, how is milk going to hold up for five years? Is it going to be exactly the same as it was in year one? Or how is the rosin going to, quote unquote, cure for yeah, five okay. or ten years?
1: It'll, and everything are going to be different, like you said, with the climate variables every year. It's really something that we've all said to consider why not you know there's so many unanswered questions that we can just start checking off fortunately yeah. we times we'll through. see how well things store you know like you're saying obviously in a freezer for the melt that's where we keep it constantly so i don't know maybe trying to if there's a better freezer or i don't know some kind of way of trying to keep it like right from coming out of the freeze dryer into a jar into a freezer i've definitely had stuff like a couple years old taste a little like funny but i also like had it in like my kitchen fridge uh, in like a gram jar not vacuum sealed you know with like some food and (laughs) and like you know i didn't (laughs) (laughs) taste like fish (laughs) yeah i was like this kind of tastes like a freezer you know what i mean but like i do think there's plenty of There's definitely someone we could consult with that would help like potentially make it store or, you know, even just doing like even being like, okay, wow, like after three years, it doesn't store well like crap. (laughs) Let's just do like let's try one year and maybe there is some kind of data we could collect to find out like how long can you really store rosin versus melt in a freezer without losing the like connoisseur quality behind it. Try to like line them up, like at some point. I don't know, but yeah, like they're saying, it's all an experiment.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like what you were saying earlier about doing things. Like you got to do them yeah. to figure out how to do them. So this is kind of the beginning, in a way, of that. I feel like so it'll be interesting to see how it pans out, and if anything, I think it's exciting. I do too. Yes. I'm excited for sure. Everything
1: excites me in this industry. It's all exciting. Yeah, I mean, think about all the things that have happened in this industry that didn't seem like would work, like rosin. Like, think about that. Like, but the days before flower rosin, <laughs> rosin wasn't a thing. Like, all of a sudden people are like, oh, yeah, like squish this nugget. And I was like, dude, like, no, that's <laughs> not, cool. you know, there's no way. Like, I was like, absolutely not. And then I go and like squish a nugget eventually, and I'm like, oh, man, this I is really like, you know, First brought this. his rosin press home and I was just like, What is this thing? And then he's like, No, watch. And he switched <clears> the freaking press press right there and it was amazing. <laughs> and <laughs> now like flower rosin is like, like, come on, bro. Like Yeah. You know, <laughs> and it's just <laughs> it funny like source melt. Yeah. yeah any type yeah. of melt or any any type of dry material or anything was very hard to source, you know, especially out here. Um, You had to know, you know, the right people to be able to get it, to try and work with that material. Yeah. So it's been a learning curve. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially at that time, that was, I mean, that was very, yeah. Disgusting. yeah. it was 2014. Yeah. Maybe, maybe 2014, 2014, yeah. 2013, Rousing popped off. Yeah, it was crazy. Okay. So that was right around the time.
0: So you bring yeah. up a few things that I, I'm curious about, like tying them together is like you've mentioned – that up there in the Northeast, there's like this proximity between these states where they're so close to each other that you can drive through a few of them in like a few hours kind of thing. So so, uh, I'm curious, like, how does that, or do you feel like that's impacted like the cannabis culture or the cannabis scene up there? Oh yeah.
1: Big time. New York city is like four and four hours, four and a half hours from Portland, Maine. And A large chunk of the states along the East coast coming up to Maine have reciprocal medical programs with Maine. So those individuals can drive up to Maine and max out their buying capacity at any legal shop. They can even go to the caregiver if they want. So, and it's, you know, it's not some crazy theme, but you know, it happens and uh, there's cups in, you know, New York City happening that with like some old time people like the like PIFCon people or you know, whoever threw that haze competition, they had like a gas competition with like there's there's just a lot of culture building up there. And obviously there's a whole bunch of consumers, you know, from Pennsylvania up that are very savvy, already in a pre-existing market and regularly consuming rosin. It's just crazy for the future of Maine being the number one producer. A lot of definite potential there. It's also why they're pushing wreck like crazy. <laughs> but so it's like a fine line. It's like, oh, this is awesome. But it's also like, oh, now they're, you know, having that right changes the game. It's like, oh, if anyone 18 in order or whatever, 21 in order can come in here and buy Hash... It's just like, unfortunately, like, I think that should be the, that should be how it is. But when that comes in, they change all the laws and licensing. So I think that's also another reason why the medical program is doing well, you know, is being able to just have reciprocal programs. Yeah. And, you know, the, in Massachusetts and Rhode Island are also very large markets that surround us. But they also don't have a medical program. They all, there's less companies that are providing more on a larger scale. So it's more of a structure of, you know, like not that small batch quality. And a lot of the stores in Maine are actually flooded with people from Massachusetts and Rhode Island and New York. And all around us um are actually coming up to the stores because the quality's there. They have reciprocal, you know, medical, you know, laws. So as far as medical patient. So it allows them to purchase out there. And it's uh you see a majority a lot of the consumers driving up to southern, you know, Maine, where we're located, getting all of these products. So like Hunter said, the future of out here is is bright with how growing the market is and how now it's becoming, you know, accessible in other States that what wasn't
0: before like New York city. Yeah. It's interesting. It is, man. Uh, Yeah. That was part of the reason I I wanted to ask is just because again, not having really spoken to anybody out on the East coast, this in depth uh, it is pretty fascinating to think that a city like New York being so close in proximity yeah. could just, like, blow up the scene in that sense.
1: Exactly. 100%. Like, they say that New York City is going to be primarily, like, the hub. Yeah, it's going to be the largest the like, cannabis market in the future. Uh, just, I mean, just because of how big it is there and, you, you know. The laws are all switching. It's all going uh, to, like, okay. social social clubs, lounges. It's all just going to be integrated yeah, into all, New York City, like, exactly. all of that really soon the whole restaurant scene is backing that culture, which like I said, that ties in with like the wine industry. And like um, that's, you know, it's, it's interesting that that's happening right around us, four hours from us, you know, so.
0: uh, And not going too far, to be honest, in, in, in this shift. And obviously this was not on the East coast, but you guys just threw a dinner recently out on the West coast where it was this very kind of, up and coming vibe of pairing, foods and wines and hash and uh, glass as well.
1: That was really cool, you know. It was it was a really cool experience for all of us. It's something that we kind of do with ourselves and our in our at our houses anyway, but without the uh, overall experience of having you know the service and the dining and the quality you know meals and plates that you're getting. So it was a really cool experience to do that. And that's, I'm, I'm excited to experience that out here and I can't wait for that to be the future out here. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I appreciate you guys hanging out with me this long. I know we've been chatting for a while, so I'll start winding it down. You know, you've talked about building relationships out West when you were first really trying to learn about hash. Do you feel like if you want to call it networking is important in this quote-unquote industry,
1: yeah, I feel like sharing information is is great. Um, it's kind of how we all better and do better ourselves, and it's not really like we're there's no like competition. We're all in this together to you know have a better product for the you know ourselves and the consumer, and and produce it in the best way possible. So you know, just sharing information with people and uh, being able to get that is uh, is is big and weighing in information from other people always is great. Networking is key man just from information you know to even sourcing inputs for soil, you know, the more people you know the easier it is it's going to be to source to find out something that you need to know to to know an agronomist or an entomologist, you know, the the wider your network is um and the more diverse it is, you know, the more you can thrive for sure.
0: Hunter, I forgot to ask about the pest or if there was any pest pressure. So, A was there and B what is your IPM regimen since you are in this regenerative model?
1: Absolutely, always pest pressure in outdoor mangroves unless you are spraying a pesticide multiple times a week, you're going to see at least, you know, there oh man, I there's just so many different Different things, you know. I would say like the main issues that are cannabis specific that we see are cannabis aphids. I think it's pretty much across the board at this point with outdoor production. I know it it's at, you know, the homies places in Oregon and California for sure. It, you just kind of work with what you face every year. Maine gets pretty cold at night. So certain insects like mites aren't as they don't take quite as strong of a hold as they can in more like hot desert like climates. So our number one issue that we face is fungal pathogens. A hundred percent that's main. And even the whole Northeast, depending on where you are, it's a, it's a very big climate-based challenge. It's just, it's too wet for too long. And any bud that has a capacity to hold moisture has a chance of going through botrytis or you know powdery mildew, leaf spot, like you know all different types of stuff that can that can pop up. And the main way we battle that is with genetics. In fact, probably really the only way we battle that is with going through strains. Fungal pathogens are extremely extremely adaptive and the number one correlation to dealing with it is not growing the strains that mold. So our IPM protocol is starts with picking the right breeders, obviously moving into being, or being the breeder to really control everything. And then it goes as far as, we will use a specific inoculant if we need to. If we feel like there is a specific pressure, we can dig a little deeper. If, if it's a soil borne issue, we can take a soil sample. If it's a leaf issue, we can take a leaf Leaf sample and our growers are constantly taking photos and IDing any kind of insect that they see with our entomologist, Matthew Gates. It's that sink angel on Instagram. He is phenomenal. But we we're able to correlate our findings with him, get some basic, you know, just to clarify things for us so we can really move forward with what to do. We don't rely on pesticides at all, and we are essentially only responding to our environment every year by releasing beneficial insects and predator insects to any trends we see. But that is where, that's where it stops. You know, we really do try to use our environment with cover cropping, bringing in a diversity of species, different kinds of flowering plants that bring different kinds of pollinator insects for a diversity of everything to eliminate one species being able to take a strong hold. But that is like the basic model. We'll respond to things that come up however we see fit.
0: Cool. Thank you for expanding on that. Stav, since you told me you have such clean water, I believe you even said you have like a river almost like running underneath your property. Yeah. Yeah. Are you able to use that water for the washing? Or is that still going through a filtration system?
1: It's still going through because we need to use RO water still getting filtered but we're trying to figure out a way to start you know capturing our water from our from our hash production and potentially trying to incorporate that and maybe you know watering it into certain aspects that we can utilize it and reuse it because that's like definitely there's a lot of water being used when we're washing hash and especially when it's going through an RO filter, there's only certain amount of water that you're actually taking out because it's filtering out so much of it. So
0: yeah, we definitely utilize it, but it's still getting filtered. I think I'm relating this to like thinking about Kush Kirk is, you know, they dump that. I mean, obviously it's a different situation they have going on, but they dump that water back into their garden after they're done washing. So there are people that are using it In different way. I've seen other people, I think, like, I don't know about fermenting it or, but almost like keeping it for a while and then using that as well.
1: Our, our issue is just climate-based. If we were blessed with cover crops in wintertime and growing plants and being able to work, work our soil, I think we would be able to realistically use all of our water and put back into our system with how large the, uh soil layered system that we said is, but our main issue is it's just frozen outside. Yeah, so there's no it's really it easy to take our water um, now, which the lab wasn't running during our grow season. But the plan is to use the water for our full cer- for our full term grow. The issue uh, and what we're still trying to brainstorm on is what to do when that grow is done, and we're and we're doing the bulk of our. Processing is basically when it's frozen. So, you know, we're always gotcha. trying to figure out ways to be better with that. You know, it's tough to get out of the RO. Like, there's not really a way around the RO. I totally understand too. Even being like, I don't use an RO for my grow. I would never, you know, what I mean, but for a solventless product, based off of cleanliness and pureness, yeah, I totally, I totally see it as you know a standard. But what to do with that waste? You know, that's always the question. So,
0: Yeah, closing another loop somehow. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Stav, you answered this, I'm pretty sure, earlier. I think you said you smoke more melt than rosin, but I'm curious about Alex and Hunter.
1: Um, I probably smoke more rosin just because it's a little more convenient for me to, like, hit, honestly. I have six kids at home, so it's easy for me to run downstairs and, you know hit a quick rosin dab rather than like, you know, pressing out a flag and going at it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely love melt. It's a, it's not, it's right up there with my, one of my favorite products for sure. But uh, I definitely hit more rosin just because of the convenience of it. I kind of got into this whole thing because of melt. Like I, so I like, I really do like melt more overall, but I can be pretty stationary and dab and, and feel like it's not really much extra work especially nowadays like i've been using like a iso dunk and smoking you know more either like a slurper or a charm now and melts honestly easier now because you i just dunk it you know Um, there's not that much more cleanup honestly like if you're gonna bring around a dunk tank you can smoke you can smoke melt wherever you're at, for sure. I uh, I definitely feel like, like I was saying, it's the most transparent, you know what I mean? I feel like it says something to have melt that's better than everyone else's. It's like, whoa, it's like, it's like a brand new thing every time I see it. Like Simply Adam at the Barcelona Clash was posting that guy's slight 23s melt. And I was like, dude, that just like, it just gives me that like tingle where I'm like, oh, I want to go pull out melt, you know what I mean? And there's something to say about it.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, speaking of Barcelona, yeah, I saw Nick also posting another guy that I keep up over there, Doc Hayes. He also has like some crazy fire melt. Yeah, I mean, I, I like rosin as well. But if I, if I could, I guess I, I would smoke more melt overall, personally. You guys are also big into collecting glass. What yeah. are some of your favorite artists? I mean, we're big
1: collectors of Contrabasso. He's a really close family friend of ours. So he's kind of one that we really lean towards a lot. Um, We do have a diverse kind of collection because we've just always been, you know, hash heads and always just trying to, you know, smoke out of pipes and stuff like that. So that's always been a passion of ours too. There's some other artists that we have. We have a lot of Hollinger pieces. There's some. I mean, I have a couple scozed dragons. Like yeah, I mean there's a yeah, there's a plethora of pieces that we go through. A couple of banjos in there. Some
0: Yeah, that's cool. It's funny. I I don't know anything about glass. I've I've said this like I'm slowly kind of learning. I really appreciate like the art part of it like the visual aspect yeah, the side of it yeah, that we, exactly. uh, that's what we, we lean towards as well lean towards is like the art of it you know yeah but i just learned about uh, contrabasso somebody was telling me about him and i guess he's making like small versions of something that he used to make big versions of that are pretty yeah cool.
1: that's funny
0: <laughs> it is pretty funny what was each of your favorite flavors that came off the farm last year. And I know maybe you haven't watched everything, but so far. Well, geez,
1: how do you pick? It's like trying to freaking pick your Uh, favorite kid. I don't know. The belt is definitely (laughs) one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, Um, me too. As far as an overall plant in general, I think trop tropicana cookies is probably my favorite it's beautiful when you're when you're growing it especially like right around harvest time It like complements the fall colors that we get up here in new england Um, it grows very well it's vigorous it's hardy it's very resistant and uh, the flavor is just out of this world so i guess as a full plant that would be my favorite but i think probably the rainbow belts for as far as hash goes was probably my favorite to hit this year. So one in one of my favorite plants, it was literally the only one and it was kind of like, we didn't know we planted it. It was a, it was an interesting plant. It was, it was hash cap. And everyone's like, how did this one turn up in here? And it was uh, interesting enough. It was one of the favorites. It was like a grapefruit turf that we got out of there, but we had very little bit of it. It was a happy
0: mistake.
1: Yeah, it was uh that was my favorite one. The banana pie pie. Yeah. The overripe bananas. There That's it, yeah. <laughs>
0: for sure. Yeah, it sounds good. What was that again, Hunter?
1: The overripe bananas, it was in the dinner we just had out there. It was um it's banana it's a fino with a banana pie pie.
0: Cool. Well, I wasn't gonna ask this, but since you brought it up, your favorite hash that you tried at the dinner outside of your own. Oh
1: well there is there's there's this company called hashish. Oh uh, they're, they're kind of really? new I had no idea about them. One of our homies out there like knew knew them and got like an ounce of flour of Skittles that was super like impressive. And there was a like, gram of hash that he got he like hounded them for. And I got one dab of that. That was pretty good. Like, you know, we obviously smoke our share of Skittles too. So I was like, "Wow, like this is <laughs> this is really good." And then uh, the Starburst OG from Trichodelics, It was melt. That was those two were my favorite. That weren't one of our own.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I think I don't know. I may be wrong about this, but I believe. That starburst OG is what he runs like off his single source. It's like the only thing that comes out of his single source. That shit was fire.
1: Yeah, that was one of my favorite. That that's probably the favorite one that I tried, other than ours. Of course. That was good.
0: Yeah. So a question for all three of you. I was gonna make it more, but we'll just keep it simple. Your favorite hash brand in Maine outside of yourself. <sighs>
1: I'm going to have to go with Mega Raw Melts, man. man I um, say dude. that same thing. I, you know, he's also my homie, maybe I'm biased, but I, you know, he's obviously been around for a minute. The Pido is is something special. He's helped develop our culture out here, you know. I'd have to say probably hands down Mega Raw Melts. I totally agree with that. Mega Raw Melts is definitely definitely the one that I'd say. Cool.
0: So this is a question to all of you. And this is like the second to last. So take your time. It might take you a while, but your favorite three hash makers or hash brands for each of you. Whoa.
1: That's a hard one. Yeah. What? Yeah. There's so many. Uh, yeah. It sucks. Cause like I've interacted with some and been able to find out like really how they operate and been like, Wow, this is like next level. And then some of them, I just see their product, and that's all. I haven't even met them or really know how they do it. I would have to say Ati. I've shared a lot of a lot of conversations about growing with him. That's kind of how we started chatting in the first place. I obviously respect the man's hash; like it's up there with with any of the best. Uh, me and Sav got to go meet up with him briefly. Amazing flavors, you know, for sure. I would have to put up uh some of the Cuban the Cuban shit I've smoked, you know, even from back in the day, like the sift that I smoked, like I still think some of some of the flavors from, from Cuban have been the best. And I feel like he's a pillar of the community as well. Also, uh, you know, the whole third gen family, man, like they're the pinnacle. You know, how many cups did they win before they threw their own? You know, like, they really threw down. Uh, I definitely look up to all those guys. There's so many more, you know, just like I was saying, you know, like the trichodelics. that stuff was amazing. It's tough to really even formulate a top five, but just off the top of my head, I'd say those those three for me. Yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, honestly. I don't, um, I don't even know if I could I like... really like a lot of, like Hunter said, I really like, the stuff that we've tried from Ati. thats that was one that really stood out. One that's always stood out to me was the OG Pie Breath from Taste of Cascadia. That's always been one that's really—that's uh, always one of my favorite ones that I've tried. So I gotta say him, and you know, I would say maybe a lot of the stuff that I've tried from West Coast Alchemy has been really good too. They're not—they're—they're they're up there for sure. Yeah. I got to shout out some Heads That Roll Their Honey Bananas is pretty nice. It's a nice full flavor. Again, Ati.
0: And yeah, I would have to third the Trichedelics as well. Obviously. Oh, yeah, that's a nice variety. And yeah, shout out to Scott of Taste of Cascadia, that OG Pie Breath. We talked about that last time. That, and it's
1: always just been one that I loved, you know? Yeah, I totally spaced on that one. That's honestly one of my favorite melts I've ever had. Me too. I yeah. to say that. I definitely. Yeah.
0: Agree. Yeah, and you know, I don't know. I don't know if you guys knew this, but he's the guy in, behind Powers Plates, also, which I know that you guys rock as well. You guys, did you oh, win no, one yeah. at the Ego Clash as well, right?
1: Um, we didn't. I don't think so. We saw him, but um, yeah, that's definitely what we rock. Mm-hmm. Cool. You've been liking them? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah I've used them for my whole my whole career. I haven't used anything else.
0: Oh cool. yeah that's nice. I don't think I've actually talked to anybody. They're like I always say they're super small batch so it's always cool to see the guys that are rocking rocking their plates. Oh place. yeah, but, I uh, love
1: it. Yeah, I just remember uh there was some kind of beef like at some point where I've let like the dude felt like they like jacked his swag and and he was like I'm the small guy trying to crank these out man like come on support me and I was like dude, this is definitely the guy to buy plates from for sure.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. All right. Last question. Again, for all of you, if you had to hear from someone on the podcast who hasn't been on, who would it be?
1: I got to go through all of your podcast list at that point. Oh <laughs> man. Yeah. There's, you've done a like this is job. Number 40. I got to remember um, 40 different podcasts. So it's strictly for, it's strictly for solveness extracts, correct? Or is it like... No, not necessarily.
0: Like- I I mean, I, funny enough, I've only spoken to people who focus on solventless, uh, although some yeah. also do hydrocarbon, but... Or just yeah, flowers I mean, or something. That also, yeah.
1: Okay. Hmm. I don't think who I want to hear from.
0: <laughs> me too. <laughs> like you said about your farm, like this is an experiment for me as well. So <laughs> I'm always open to like suggestions of different you know, avenues to talk to different people about understanding resin, so...
1: I think. Hmm. I'm always trying to think of someone in like Maine or something too.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, right? Just to uh the, get some more Mainers out
0: there. Well you guys mentioned all the same guy as your favorite guy from there.
1: Yeah, I mean yeah. Mega Raw Melts is always a solid dude. He he's been releasing Fire for a long time before it was, you know, as popular as it is, so He's an OG in our, in our uh, community here, and he's an old friend of mine. And, yeah, I mean, I would have to say, you know, he's up there with the best hashers, too. So I would say he'd be a good person to have on here and chat with. I think he should definitely be a great candidate as well. Yeah, for sure. He's been kind of uh, some like the industry standard out here for a, a, a bit now, so he'd probably be a valuable uh, interview.
0: Absolutely. Well, I feel bad. I feel like I've like led the answer now, but since you're no. your favorite, <laughs> no, I,
1: it's just tough. You reinforce really it was on here, but um, there's so I mean try to uh, try to find someone who's just like unknown, like your grower's favorite grower, so, you know?
0: Yeah, you uh, know that that would be interesting. Here's one of my thoughts about that, not just because I've thought about it, but. I I also kind of wonder if someone who doesn't really do social media or like doesn't want any kind of thing would want to be on a True. platform where they talk, you know, but it'd be
1: cool. No, yeah. I mean, someone who wants to talk, but just, j- there's just a lot of people with really fired shit with no platform. Right. They're, yeah. You're right. And I mean, like, um, like the Eagle to- clash
0: was kind of that I feel like for a lot of companies, like you can come oh out there God. and compete against anyone, you know? so absolutely yeah the ego clash
1: is like the pinnacle it's amazing
0: well cool guys again thank you so much for hanging out uh again this was alex stav and hunter sorry i almost forgot your name and you can follow them at helios hash at helios collective and at hidden forest forms anything else that you want to say before we sign off just thank you for having us
1: We've, uh, I've listened to all your podcasts, so it's, uh, it's really amazing to be able to get the opportunity to get on here and chat with you. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, thank ask. you so much for the voice. Absolutely. <laughs> no, yeah,
0: I, of course, man, I, again, I really, really appreciate you. Uh, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, I, I know how busy you guys are at the farm. Alex, like you said, uh, you have a busy family life. I, I get that as well. So I appreciate you guys making the time. Uh, I had a good time talking to you guys and I hope that uh, anybody who stuck around with us uh, had a good time. We appreciate you listening and we'll catch you next time. Have a good one, man. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Hashish In. If you'd like the podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. Until next time.